For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. All the papers this morning talk of the conflict and war uh, involving the uh, Gaza Strip and Hamas and the Israelis. Uh, I see this morning on Sky News that they're updating, sadly updating death tolls almost on an hourly basis where they're confirming 900 Israelis confirmed dead. The bodies of 1,500 Hamas fighters found on Israeli territory um, and that's just the latest update with regards to uh, the loss of life uh, doesn't talk of the um, well the newspapers talk of hostages uh, and of course uh, people who have been very very badly injured. Now amongst the people of course that uh, have been uh, taken in this uh, now officially declared a war is an Irish girl by the name of Kim Dante. She's a 22-year-old and her story and her plight makes the front of many of the red tops today where her mother is absolutely beside herself with worry and anguish. Is she suffering? Is she still alive? I just want her back. Um, and that's a story that makes many of the papers today uh, as to whether or not she um, is still alive or not. Who knows? Because what's the, being reported, say, for instance, in the mail today is uh, supposedly Hamas saying that we'll kill a hostage for every Israeli attack on the Gaza Strip. So this is uh, also, um, never mind these awful videos that are circulating on social media. So that's an horrific threat uh, that they will film the executions as troops are massing on the border. And of course, uh, the Israelis under Netanyahu are saying that they have no choice but to launch a ground invasion and that the area will never look the same again. So it's an interesting um, breakdown in this morning's mirror where they talk of, say, for instance, the Gaza Strip alone, which has 2.1 million people absolutely crammed into 140 square miles of land. It's four times smaller, as an example, uh, than, than, say, London. Um, and it talks of um, 1.4 million Palestinian refugees living uh, in Gaza and an awful lot of them, like you're looking at huge unemployment in that area uh, and you're looking at very, very little opportunities for people, uh, particularly children, to, to thrive. But um, they also have aerial photographs of the actual Gaza Strip itself where they're, they're, they're trapped with a border with Israel and then they're trapped by a sea border also uh, by Israel and, and, and caught in the middle of it. So uh, it gives an interesting perspective when you break it down in terms of numbers and an actual aerial photograph of it. So that dominates many of the papers. You know, the news, of course, this afternoon's budget also dominates the newspapers. The Independent on the front page says, by and large, if you're looking at an average worker, it's about €800 Euro better off uh, after the tax tweaks and the tiny changes to universal social charge so in, in, you know, in an average world on an average salary uh, that's really what you're talking about say for somebody uh, earning between you know 45 and maybe 65, 70 a grand a year about 800 euro better off of course we are talking about um, while workers are pocketing the 800 in tax cuts there'll be double welfare bonuses on the cards as well um, and I like the way the independent again uses like graphics to tell us uh, some of the key points for this afternoon where they say there'll be a 12, 12 euro increase per week on pensions and social welfare rates. There'll be a Christmas bonus of a double social welfare payment. There'll also be one-off double payments of all social welfare in January as well. Um, We'll get more energy credits in the shape of €400 off gas and electric bills, probably broken down into 
pots two or, or maybe three payments, that kind of way. You're not looking at any increase on fuel and alcohol this afternoon, but you're looking at 50 cent on a packet of 20 cigarettes. You're also looking also at the, the top rate of tax uh, to rise by 2,000 euro. That cut in the USC is only half a 1%. It's Mickey Mouse. It's minuscule. The minimum wage will go up, though. The minimum wage goes up by a euro 40 to 12.70. However, of course, as I've often said, and many people also say, it's the employer that pays that. So I hope they're prepared for that increase and that they can make the sums work for them. But there will also be, according to the front of the examiner today, a 10 grand lump sum for every small and medium-sized business. They're going to receive a lump sum payment of up to 10 grand. Up to 10 grand. It won't be 10 grand across the board. That's kind of interesting it is uh, to give, you know, something to everybody, including businesses that we mustn't forget, which are the small to medium enterprise businesses that are the backbone of Ireland, I suppose, if you like. So that's this afternoon. More on that throughout the course of the morning. Your thoughts on the budget, incidentally, are welcome. They're just some of the key points I've given you. But you can text 0868104106. I'll come back to that story that makes this morning's papers, including the Irish Times and the Sun today, um, where Gardi are Last, were last night quizzing a woman over the death of a Ukrainian refugee. They think the Ukrainian refugee may have been run over by a car. A 49-year-old man who was found in the hotel car park of the Cork Airport Hotel, which is now a centre for refugees and those uh, fleeing war and oppression and uh, also, you know, looking for a new life. And he, is, he was found, actually, at 3 o'clock in the morning on early Sunday morning, a man by the name of Nestorov Andril. Um, so I will come back to that story in a few minutes' time with Barry Roach from the Irish Times. But I also see a story in the Mail today where we're very much out of kilter, it would appear, with the rest of Europe. Or some people put it, we're a complete outlier with regards to other European Union neighbours in what we pay um, to Ukrainian refugees. Now, if you're, if you're coming in and you're a refugee, say, up in the direct provision centre or what have you, you're getting 38 euros. 80 per week or if you're coming in uh, seeking international protection you're getting 38 euro 80 per week but if you're coming in from Ukraine uh, it's 220 euro per week plus of course your your accommodation and many service services provided medical cards and, and things like that so we're very much out of kilter with other countries with regards to people who are fleeing Ukraine and coming looking for refuge. So it's uh, actually quotes from Leo Varadkar, but as to what he's going to do about it, I have absolutely no idea, because uh, there does seem to be a huge disparity in, in that regard. There also would be children's allowance and, uh, and things like that. But it's interesting, you know, we talk about law and order, as, as we do, and the importance of our Gardaí. I hope that this is um, a good move forward, that tensions now seem to be cooling between rank-and-file Gardaí and Drew Harris, because they've, they've got some kind of an agreement on some sort of a rota and hopefully it'll meet everybody's needs and we'll be able to move forward on this and that the Gardaí will be will be happy with it. But uh, do you follow these different stories with regards to um, making it illegal for minors to buy vapes? And when I say vapes, we're talking about these very, very colourful uh, vapes, which, you know, of all sorts of different sweet-flavoured um, uh, tastes to them. They, you know, they're, they're as easy to buy in a corner shop, apparently, for, say, a 13 and a 14-year-old as a lollipop or, um, you know, a bar of chocolate or a packet of crisps. How do I know that? Because the tabloids, and I'm reading it from the Star this morning, did a kind of an undercover survey where a 14-year-old boy was openly able to purchase four disposable vapes 
in one hour because there's absolutely no law on selling them to under 18s certainly not as yet unlike many other countries around the world where it is illegal uh, and they want to pull their socks up and get that sorted because there's the case of a 12 year old girl that makes the red tops today where her mum has said that her daughter ended up in ICU and was put into an induced coma after she had been vaping at the age of 12. In other news, um, if you're a rugby fan and you were even thinking about possibly going to Saturday's quarterfinal clash with New Zealand, um, you could well be playing upwards of €10,000 for one rugby ticket for the match of the weekend because that's the kind of money that apparently scampers, sorry, scalpers are getting um, and rugby uh, fans will have to scamper away from the scalper because you couldn't afford ten grand. they have been told to scrum off, I suppose. And also, back to television and it started last night, although I haven't seen it yet, but I am keen to watch the show The Reckoning. This is the BBC's drama on at least part of the life, well, certainly the life of Jimmy Savile, but the drama itself ends when Savile dies. Now, there's been a lot of criticism of the BBC that they didn't continue on to make other episodes of the drama that would be very critical of the BBC uh, for shelving the Panorama documentary that would have revealed him as a monster. In fact, the most prolific sexual predator, a paedophile. He was never arrested. He was never charged with anything, despite all of the rumours that went on and the suspicions for decades and decades. But there's reviews, anyway, with regards to the actual show itself over the past couple of days. Um, And the one thing that comes out of it is the incredible performance of Steve Coogan. His accuracy in portraying Jimmy Savile, the character. So that makes this morning's um, Independent this morning where they're reviewing it. And I think to some extent it falls short. But the BBC have come back and said, well... Who's to say we won't make more episodes in the future? If you if you were a fan of Kurt Cobain or Nirvana, you might be interested to know that people with deep pockets, a person has decided that his guitar, the last one, the last electric guitar that he played with, um, is uh, up for auction at $2 million. So it could go an awful lot higher than that, depending on who's actually going to go into the bidding, uh, but at least $2 million or even more. Um, and I also see in the papers this morning one or two other kind of musical-related stories. There's a cracking story in the Echo, to Echo today by Katrina Devereaux. She talks of busk... <laughs> She's talking about buskers on Leaside and we will soon have uh, some new bylaws with regards to our buskers on Leaside and one of them will involve that the volume shall not exceed 75 decibels because some of them are too loud. There will be other rules with regards to the bylaws and I may well come back to this but she's got a cracking piece in the Echo today where she says um, it it is unusual for the publication of the bylaws to arouse emotion in anyone but as I read Cork City Council's proposed bylaws a wave of relief passed over me. Finally, an end to the city centre's slow musical torture is in sight. Performers shall not exceed 75 decibels. She goes on to say, My working location is infiltrated by the sound of a band 100 metres away, blasting out folk and trad songs for two straight hours. It's not the songs themselves or the quality of the performance I have a problem with. It's the volume. She says, I like music. I like buskers. I regularly do donate to talented performers around the city. However, the buskers who play day in, day out, ear-throbbing volumes without any regard for businesses, residents, workers, um, and we have to continuously listen to the same ridiculously loud set list 
they need policing. So it's too loud and it's the same songs over and over. And she talks of one particular trad band that you'll always see on Patrick Street belting out the hits. And it's fine for the rest of us because they're very good. But we're only passing by. But for somebody who was working in town, or I know that I was talking to taxi drivers recently who were, I don't know if the chap is still there, would be a fellow with a tin whistle um, who, let me put just, let me put it like this, um, a limited repertoire of tunes, I yeah, have to say. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, I've heard and he the has... the taxi uh, drivers feel like a slow torture. <laughs> the dawning of the day but like, over and over. Can you not just, you not just turn on the radio? I mean, as a taxi driver, have you not a radio in your car that you I'm can only, turn up and away you go? I'm you know? only saying. I'm I, only was, saying. I was looking here, I was looking at what 75 decibels actually means. Is it loud? No. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a loudness of a vacuum cleaner. She would never hear them at that. Yeah. I don't know, like, if you, if you stuck out, you stuck out a Henry Hoover in the middle of Patrick's Street, would you be able to hear it go by? <laughs> but a Henry Hoover in the middle of Patrick's Street might be better than <laughs> yeah, some of the buskers. put a hat in front of it, it might get some change. Anyway, people <laughs> out there, your thoughts are welcome on buskers, particularly if you live in the city. Text 0868 Can I just ask you just one confession, one admission? There's a oh, survey dear. out this morning oh, dear. where people apparently were researched as to how many times they use their towels oh, at yeah. home, right? Um, and apparently they're saying that they're horrified to find out that 3% of people wash their towels only once a year. That's, now, that's grotty. That's, that's disgusting. They use the same <laughs> towel know. and only wash it once a year. That's now, disgusting. the numbers change then. 8% say they wash their towels twice a year. 67% say they do absolutely nothing until the visual signs of, of, signs of dirt on the towel. Uh, and 61% said they base their washing of the towel on how it smells. How often do you use, say, a bath towel after a shower? I... Uh, I think three is the max, right? You use it, dry it, use it, dry it, use it, wash it. Yeah, I have, to, I mean? I have to agree with that number two to three times. Two to three. It depends. Like, and again, I agree with the whole like if I'm after a match and I'm caked in dirt, that, ta- know, that, you, that towel is getting washed. washed like, you yeah, know what I mean? That's not being that's not being dried up again. But um, what I was going to say? How many reading, times, guys, out there do you do you wash your bath towel? Is it after every single use, two uses, or three uses? Because I, without wanting to give too much away. <laughs> um, and I want to be able to open the front door of my own house. I, I actually experience with other individuals washing towels all of the time. Who shall not be named. Who shall not be named. <laughs> After every single use. Yeah. And, and I despair about it. But you see, I think, I think the, the trick there, Neil, where is your wash basket? Is it in the bathroom itself? There's a wash basket in every bathroom. Ah, Isn't you there see, every world? Ah, you every you see, you'd have to put the wash basket outside the bathroom because when you take the towel out, then you just—it's the first thing you do. I'll just throw it in there. Do you know, it'll magically reappear. That's in three fine weeks if you're the person pe- not paying the bills, though. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's if, different. When you're the one paying the bills, you need to put the you put the wash basket outside so they get out of the shower and they think, oh, well, I'll just throw it up there and I'll, I'll hang it up all together. I can't, I can't be bothered bringing. It. We are the most incredibly lazy, lazy yeah. race of lazy. all time when it comes to stuff like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. Put the wash basket outside. I'm telling you, that'll that'll. Then you'll, re- then you'll hang it up and reuse it. Yeah. Okay. Let's get the thoughts of people listening to this program. Text 0868104106 on how often you use and reuse your wash towels. Um, incidentally, if you've got a smart meter, um, it's, I only know more about this now recently because of a switch from Energia to to board. Gosh, the smart meter will allow you different rates in the sense that you should never use your washing machine or your tumble dryer or your dishwasher during the day. You'll be paying 45 cent per kilowatt hour. If you use it after 7pm, it's a fraction. It's much, much lower. So all of that kind of stuff 
should be done, say, between 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock at night. It's just suggesting, that's all. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Text 0868 Pick up the phone on 0818 I want to go straight to Barry Road, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. As I told you, if Detroit is making the papers today, it's the arrest of a, a woman for questioning. She's a 43-year-old and involves the questioning regarding the death of a Ukrainian man who was found at the Cork Air Port Hotel. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think it was it was certainly was half two, three a.m. in the morning. But was it Saturday into Sunday or Sunday into Monday? Anyway, Barry Rose joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Dean. How are you doing? When exactly was it? Half two Sunday, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Thank you. Thank so you. Half two Sunday morning, effectively. Yeah. Okay. And what um, can you tell us, bearing in mind the woman is is, is being questioned by Gardy as we speak? Yeah. Yeah, forty three year old woman. She was arrested yesterday. Uh, my understanding is at the Cork Airport Hotel for questioning about the death of this man. He's been named locally by uh, people staying in the hotel as Andrei Andre Nesterov. He's a Ukrainian man. He's 49, or he was 49, rather, a father of three. And he um, had been staying in the hotel. The hotel has been given over to accommodating Ukrainian uh, refugees. And um, he was working locally. Not sure when he came to Ireland, but obviously he came as a refugee fleeing the war. And my understanding is he was working in a bakery in Balancholic. Uh, Around half two, this woman went into the hotel to say that uh, there had been an incident and that he, uh, my understanding is the initial report suggests that he had had suffered a cardiac arrest. Paramedics were called. He was unresponsive and he was brought to CUH and he was thrown state some short time later. But it was noticed that he had some injuries and the guardie were also notified and they cordoned off the scene. They um, seized um, his car effectively for technical examination and they've also uh, my understanding is that they've obtained dash cam footage from it which is of some assistance to them in inquiring into the, what exactly happened to him yesterday morning then Gardy arrested this woman she's a 43 year old Ukrainian woman and she was taken to Toka Garda station she was arrested under section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act which allows Gardy to detain somebody for up to 24 hours so her time will expire this afternoon at some stage I understand in the meanwhile uh, this Gardy requested the services at pathologist's office and Dr. Margaret Bolster, the assistant at pathologist, carried out a post-mortem on Mr. Nestorov yesterday at CUH. And my understanding is that, that um, the Gardy haven't released the findings for operational reasons, but I don't believe there, it, it, it didn't confirm anything or suggest that he had suffered a cardiac event, as it were. Mm. So their focus, I suppose, now is whether he was the victim or whether he suffered, he was hit by the car. He was found at the rear of the car. Um, they potentially could have been run over by the car. It could have been run over the car. So, um, so that's what they're looking at. It. That's the focus of it at the moment, as I understand it. Um, the woman has some English, but she, I suppose, because of the seriousness of the fact that she's arrested, first of all, and being questioned, uh, Gardy are operating with, uh, or she is the assistance of a Ukrainian interpreter. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously slowing down the, the questioning process somewhat but they have until this afternoon to effectively uh, mm. either decide or to get directions from DPP if they feel there's a case uh, to answer there. Do they so, have to wait for the result of the post-mortem? Well, the post-mortem they have but they haven't revealed it But uh, as to exactly how he, the man died but my understanding is that it doesn't sort of support the, the reports initially that uh, he'd suffered um, and tell me, what about poor Nesterov Andril? Do we know, was he here alone? Had he family with him or family back My in Ukraine? It's, 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 the examiner have this, that um, he's a father of three and his wife, and he's from Kherson, which is 
from my understanding of the Ukraine situation, it's in the eastern side of the city and has been under um, pretty severe attack from the Russian forces. He's from Kherson and his wife and three children. I think he has two sons and a daughter there in Poland and he was due to travel there to meet them or be reunited with them uh, and had recently bought a, a ticket for that. So obviously it's a huge tragedy for And them. I assume that they've been reached out to and told of I, the sad I news. I presume that the news has been, uh, they would generally, Gardy would appoint a family liaison officer in these situations, so presumably that's happened here, but obviously distance and then language difficulties as well, but you would hope that the message has got through to them and they've, they've heard the, the sad news. Um, so that's basically where it's at at the moment. We'll yeah. know later, more later, I suppose, in okay. the course of the day, whether or not uh, this woman will be released or charged, or it could quite possibly be that uh, she might be released and if I would be sent to DPP for further consideration on the, the, the incident um, and uh, I suppose Gardy will take it from there then as it were OK we'll allow them to get on with it thank you so much Barry for the update as always I do appreciate it Barry Rhodes Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times text 0868104106 back after the break get it off your chest text the Neil Brinderville show now 0868104106 Red FM I was at Dave Halpin's funeral yesterday you all know Dave Halpin much loved on Side, passed away um, unexpectedly uh, during the middle of last week his funeral yesterday was in St Columbus in Douglas the beautiful old gorgeous uh, little Catholic church in the back village but I only I mentioned that because it was full and it didn't surprise me that the church was full he was he was so much loved and, and respected but there was beautiful music as there is at funerals but the most I, I had the most fabulous experience at the end of the funeral because the singer who was brilliant off the charts really great um, sang as they were preparing to take Dave's coffin out of the church she sang My Way the Frank Sinatra song My Way now Pretty much everybody knows at least some of the lyrics of My Way. Others know them all, and we certainly know the chorus. So as as, um, as the family were coming out and the coffin was coming out, they won't mind me saying this. The most beautiful thing happened. Everybody in the congregation started singing Frank Sinatra's My Way. And it got more and more people involved, and more and more people joined in. So by the time, um, you know, uh, Dave and his family were at the end of the church and going out the, the door, everybody was singing My Way really loud and there was an incredible feeling a, a wonderful kind of connection of love and participation um, I, I haven't experienced that in a, in a long long time where people spontaneously just came together like that and at the end of it then everybody clapped and I thought to myself that's the most glorious send off that anybody could ever expect um, to be you know have, having passed away and being laid to rest it was an amazing experience yesterday it's the power of music and the power of a song certainly the power of a song when you know the lyrics and you can join and when some people start more get confidence and before you know it everybody was singing it was it was just the loveliest of things uh, yesterday in in other news lads of course we've been talking about the budget and people being strapped and indeed you know a couple of bob on the uh, minimum wage and what have you uh, but it reminded me of many people who were saying you know also remember the conversation we had about the bunk beds up in Shannon Street that were coming in at uh, 600 euro and you you had your bunk and three other people had bunks so there was four bunks at 600 bucks a month each and we were talking a lot about that and, and, and other people then living in circumstances like that and being 
happy to get it. You know, sharing what I would call a bed set. It's an interesting text from Paddy. Although he's going back, he says, bunk beds in a room is nothing new. He says, I'm 55 and when I was 17, I was working on sites in London. My accommodation was a bed in the front room of an old Georgian house in Kilburn with 15 other guys. Back in the day, that was at about 20 euro a week in the 1980s. So there were 16 of them, right, in this old Georgian house. We shared the kitchen, the toilets, the bathrooms. Uh, totaled, the whole house accommodated 40. So I don't know where you're going to, there was 15 other guys, but he's saying in total there was 40 in the house. That was the situation then, uh, and this is the situation now. It's interesting and sad to see that things haven't changed in 40 years. Uh, Another few texts on that. The extortionate rents are only getting paid because the rooms are filled with bunk beds and places everywhere are just overcrowded. Couples and families haven't a hope now to pay these rents. Uh, There needs to be a process to report overcrowded properties with bunk beds so landlords can be fined and discouraged from overcrowding. Um, Can I share with you, although don't give up my details, I sleep in my work van and I work full time. I can't find anything other than sleeping in my van. I'm trying to find somewhere to call home and I'd be willing to pay around 100 to 150 euro a week just for a double bed. There's nothing around. I told my boss that I had to stay in the van because there's a tracker in the van so they know where I am at all times. Man sleeping in van. And then the frustrations of people. A lot of Irish people are annoyed and frustrated with our politicians regardless of what they might give us in a budget and rightly so to be frustrated. Could you tell me why an agreed allowance wasn't established in the EU for all Ukrainian refugees? This is a text mentioning earlier the disparity that we pay to Ukrainian refugees and and other countries. Of course, our politicians overpay themselves. And so they see nothing wrong with giving refugees of war 220 euro a week plus children's allowance, medical cards. The list goes on. No wonder people are flocking from even peaceful regions of Ukraine, all paid for by the Irish taxpayer. Look at the hospitals and waiting lists. Our politicians want to look good in Europe, and it's frustrating. Your newspaper story does not surprise me. Another one or two on that from this morning. There's going to be a huge problem here. Take a look at the young people. They're the ones I feel sorry for. They can't move out of home. They can't rent. They can't buy. It's very depressing for them. And others then just decide to leg it out of the country. I'm a normal person who works for a big multinational. I pay my tax. I have a very diverse view on life. I kind of live and let live, but I'm really so angry. It's the first time I have no idea who to vote for in an election. Uh, This government is a shambles, wasting money. They're more worried about being woke than worried about the average Irishman and woman who are being hurt daily in this country. And a final one then on the circumstances in which people have it to live. I spoke to a landlord last night on the rental of his property that his current tenants are moving out at the end of the month. I just thought I'd get my name in ahead of all of the masses who'll be calling. He advised me that he wasn't going to rent to the general population anymore as he would be taxed massively. Although if you rented to Ukrainians, it would be tax-free. Sorry now, the public need to know about this. No wonder we can't get accommodation. I've been homeless since April and can't get help from the council or find a property to rent. Isn't this just double standards? Please do what's right and let your listeners know about this disparity, but don't give out my details. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And uh, we can keep the conversation going. But I do want to change tack now and talk about another story that I was actually reading on the journal last night. And I was 
horrified at what I was reading on the journal.ie. It's an investigation that's been launched into allegations of discrimination and racism against an Indian nurse who worked at the Cork University Hospital. Now, I believe that there were other nurses also of Indian extraction who had come over here and signed a petition, a group letter of perhaps up to 29 nurses uh, making similar allegations of discrimination and racism. Behind that story uh, is the journalist Emer McCauley with uh, the journal.ie and I'm keen to hear all of the details and you will be too. So Emer, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you keeping? Thank you for holding. What can you tell us about that? I've just given the outline, but what's the entire story? Yeah, so in Ireland, you know, our health system's quite heavily dependent on Indian nurses coming over and taking up jobs in our hospitals and nursing homes now. There's probably around 15,000 Indian nurses and healthcare workers working in Ireland. Um, and, and these are a group of nurses who were offered jobs in Cork University Hospital and came over and they had to go through a six to eight week adaptation program to become fully registered as nurses here. Um, and they allege in a group petition that was signed, you're correct, by 29 different nurses um, of an Indian background uh, that they went through treatment at the hands of a a senior staff member that they described as humiliating and degrading. Um, So this this treatment would have happened mainly in the theoretical classes that happen in the first few weeks of the adaptation programme. And so the nurses in their petition that was sent to the hospital over a year ago um, alleged that a staff member directed racial slurs and sentiments at them kind of on a day-in, day-out basis during these classes, including that Indian nurses don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom, that they come to Ireland only to make money and, and, and don't care when Irish patients die. These are quotes from the petition, Neil. Mm. The Indian nurses come here for pregnancy and child benefits, that they spread COVID-19 um, and that they bring rice with them and don't spend money in They bring Ireland. rice uh, with them and don't spend money in Ireland. Rice, you said. Yeah, rice. Um, so this is this is what the nurses were saying. They were being told by a staff member while they went through this adaptation programme at the hospital. And, you know, Neil, a lot of the nurses that I spoke to who, who did go through the programme said that they find that really demoralising and they, they find it hard to perform their best at work day in day out um, which of course any of us can imagine would be the case if you were dealing with the kind of behaviour that they are saying they went through while they were at the hospital Um, so now you're correct there is an investigation launched into one of the formal grievances um, that was made again over a year ago the nurses who did complain had a huge amount of time before there was any progress made or update on what was happening with their grievances. Um, so they so forgive me for jumping in, Emer, but they they passed and yeah. got through the induction or the um, uh, initiation six to eight week course and started working on the wards. Am I right? Well, some of the nurses who signed the petition um, did stay in the hospital. Um, some of the nurses who complained don't work in the hospital anymore, work in other hospitals, work in nursing homes. Um, so there's a mix in the group between people who would still work there and, and people who would work in different places now. Um, so, but that's kind of normal enough that you might move around in the health service when you are a health worker, but then also 
the experience they had would have impacted them as well. But there was also an issue that was complained about in the complaint about nurses being failed in the adaptation programme, which is a really big deal for them because when you go through this programme, that's how you become registered as a nurse here. And, and it affects your visa, so it changes the status of your visa. So if you don't pass that, you've essentially got to go back to India or whatever country you were working in before after six months because your work permit runs out. So some of the nurses were sealed in the programme and, you know, I know that multiple nurses appealed the decision that the hospital made to seal them and that the NMBI, which is the regulator of nursing in Ireland, actually overturned the hospital's decisions um, and those nurses were able to sit uh, an alternative to this adaptation programme uh, which is a test and, and are now working within the health system in Ireland. So, when, so there's, there's when they really su- different issues going on here. Yeah, when they signed this petition, all 29 of them, they submitted it mm. up through the ranks of the CUH. How quickly did the CUH react to it? So they heard back from representatives that the, that the hospital's advice, and you know, this is what they told me, that the hospital's advice was that it couldn't you know, investigate a petition um, and that nurses would have to make individual complaints. And, uh, you know, understandably, all of these nurses were quite scared to come forward and make individual complaints. That's why they did a group petition in the first place. Um, but a few did. So the nurses never would have gotten any formal response to the petition that was handed in to, you know, high management in CUH. Did you contact the CUH and ask for comment? I've contacted them many times and, and put a lot of questions to them and there's been no response forthcoming. Uh, the NMBI, which is the regulator of nursing in Ireland, has said that it's aware of the issue at CUH and that it's actively working with the hospital on its oversight and governance. So that's the only official statement that's been made in relation to the petition or or these complaints at, at this stage. The UH hasn't hasn't given any statement on okay. this. Okay. Now, you also say uh, on thejournal.ie that coming to Ireland to work as a nurse from overseas is a very expensive thing to do. It, is it true that it could cost them up to, well, you, you say thousands of euro? A hundred percent. You have to pay to get your qualifications recognised depends on the employer or the employer or the agency that you come through. Um, you might have to pay for your flights. Uh, you've got to pay for different stages of the interview process, like registration fees and things like that. So I've, I've actually done other work on this area and I find that usually it costs nurses on average €2,000 to come here, which is a huge amount of money for someone who might be coming from a village in Kerala or somewhere like that, or even a city in India. You know, €2,000 is a huge amount of money. So uh, a lot of nurses when they you've got to come here and then you have to go through the test on the other side to find out whether you become registered that's right after spending the money there's the risk of not being accepted or registered because it says in the article there are over 12,000 Indian nurses working in the Irish health system and in the first four months of this year over 2,200 nod uh, were newly registered from outside the EU 56 nurses came from inside the EU they come from so far away like 12,000 Indian nurses probably also struggling to find somewhere to live, right? A hundred percent. So they get offered accommodation for the first month, usually. But I've spoken to nurses before who 
were told on arrival could they actually leave that accommodation after the first week from one hospital in, in Dublin, um, nurses who were put in that situation. And obviously, if you're not familiar, you know, I just heard you talking about rents there and the budget. Mm. If you're not familiar with the housing crisis in Ireland or maybe not familiar with how getting a house here works, like, you know, you can't really go through estate agents anymore. You've got to be on social media and you've got to be on Facebook groups um, and places like that to even find a room to rent. So, yeah, I've spoken to nurses who came here and ended up having to share a bed with another nurse in in, in one room um, who just couldn't find accommodation anywhere or it took them a lot longer to figure out how it works. But the, um, but the private recruitment companies, um, I think the health service you say in the article, pays recruitment companies to bring nurses here. Would, would, would part of that not involve trying to find them somewhere to live or letting them know that it's going to be difficult to find somewhere to live? So from nurses I've spoken to, you know, the agencies are usually involved in helping them find uh, accommodation for the first month, but not always. And the amount of support you get would differ from agency to agency. And I guess the problem is the HSE doesn't, isn't really enforcing, like, you know, this is the standardised amount of support that you have to give these nurses. So I've spoken to nurses who've come here and spent all that money and then maybe failed the aptitude test or been failed in an adaptation programme some of them have been in a situation where they actually didn't have the money to go back home and at that point they didn't get any more support from agencies so they're in a really vulnerable situation uh, when they do come here and you know they're taking a big leap in you know a lot of them have children in Ireland and husbands and family who are waiting to come and join them um, and that can only happen after they become a registered nurse and their and their visa changes mm. so it's, it's a huge change to your life to come and work in the health system here people do it because they think they're going to have a better quality of life here and they think that it's it's going to be better for them unfortunately like you know fortunately it will work out that way for many many nurses for working through the health service if you go into any hospital in ireland you will find filipino and indian nurses you will in nursing homes also yes 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 yeah and they do an amazing job um but there, but there is a group who it doesn't work out so well for, and I think that's why we need a, a bit more protection in place okay, for okay, that group. Okay. So, if, the, if the, just finally, if the COH wouldn't recognise a petition of twenty nine nurses, are they recognising individual complaints for want of a better term from some of the nurses now? Um, is that where we're at? Yeah. So, uh, an investigator has been commissioned to come in and investigate. Uh, some of these grievances. Initially, I think they were dealing with one grievance. Um, I've heard recently that a nurse who got no reply beyond initial acknowledgement of her complaint has now um, has now been, you know, had follow up from the hospital as well. I think there's another complaint as well. So, you know, these complaints are going to be looked into by an investigator that the hospital's commissioned at this stage. But the nurses who signed that petition don't feel like action has been taken and don't feel like they've gotten justice for what they went through. And, you know, we're not talking about allegations of one incident of racial harassment or, um, you know, degrading behaviour here from a staff member. But what's being alleged here is uh, that this was widely known about, but nothing was done about it. So it's it's so much more concerning, Mm. you know. Mm. I'll talk about one of those nurses after the ad break, but thank you, Emer, for updating us and bringing us up to speed. That's Emer McCauley with the journal.ie. I will speak with one of those nurses next. 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. So the complaint was from 29 nurses claiming that one member of staff subjected a cohort of Indian nurses to racist verbal comments when they first arrived at the hospital. Then the complaint was sent to the hospital's higher management in April of last year. Uh, And I'm reading from the journal article. And the group of nurses described the treatment as humiliating and degrading. And one of the nurses who spoke to the journal about her experience said it made her mentally depressed and on edge. Uh, So that's the backstory to it uh, with regards to how they were treated by one staff member who openly directed racial slurs and sentiments at them. Uh, And they included uh, that they don't wash their hands after using the bathroom, they come to Ireland to only make money and do not care when Irish patients die. And these are inverted commas now, as in these were spoken words, the allegations, that Indian nurses come here for pregnancy and child benefits, that they spread COVID-19, that they do not spend money in Ireland and they bring rice with them. It's kind of a bizarre thing to say that they bring rice with them. Uh, from what? Their hometowns of India. That they make hospitals, bath- hospital bathrooms dirty. Um, um, and there are some of the um, allegations um, against this particular member of staff. Anita, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Um, I just read out some of the racial slurs and the allegations there. Uh, Must be upsetting to hear them all again. Did you hear all of these words spoken? Yes, of course, because I was an adapting nurse in the Cork University Hospital and I went through all these uh, racist comments towards... Um, okay, so you heard an... I indi- have witnessed it. Yeah, yeah, you heard an individual say that nurses from India don't wash their hands after using the bathroom, you're only here to make money, you spread COVID, you don't care if Irish patients die. You heard all of that. Only the one day... The Just one moment. You, you actually go through lectures, right? Okay. So it's a, kind of an yeah, induction. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, I clearly don't want to, anything said or done that would identify anybody. You understand what I'm saying in that regard? So we'll only refer to the individual as a, a staff member, if that's okay with you. How, how did you and your colleagues react to those comments? How did you feel? Hello, I think. No, I'm just asking you, Anita. Can you hear me all right? No, okay. Well, that's a problem with uh, WhatsApp. Maybe if we flip back to um, uh, to a regular phone line, and it might be an idea to just to sort that out, and I come back to it then in a couple of minutes' time. Um, hold on there. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Let me see if that's any better, the phone quality. Anita, can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I'm okay. okay. I how, can hear how, you. How did you how did you feel yourself and the other nurses when you heard these these words spoken and these terms used? We're really shocked and we're really humiliated by all of these um racist comments from the person. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say anything at the time as to why these kind of things were being said? You don't wash your hands or you're only here to make money or 
that you uh, bring rice from India with you, things like that. Just, um, just actually, we are we are really helpless, and we cannot um, react to these uh, comments because um, the person is um, holding a good position in the hospital. So, and uh, if we react, uh, our career in Ireland will end up because uh, the person will make us fail in that adaptation and uh, we will be like okay. noticeable per, uh, people there. Okay, so, so you, you stay quiet to... because you wanted to get through it, to pass it, so you could stay and work as nurses. Yeah. But in what kind of context would these things be said? I mean, was it in a... Ju- it's, it's not funny, like, but was was it an attempt at humour? Yeah. It was an attempt to be funny, do you think? Um, I, I don't. I don't know actually uh, why that person is delivering all these comments, especially to the Indian nurses, because uh, during the class, most of the nurses from India, so she is continuously um, delivering these comments, uh, mainly focusing on Indian nurses. Maybe I, I don't know what okay. is uh, okay. the problem with okay. that. Uh, so the so the yeah. investigation. Where where are you at with that now? Um, actually, I'm sorry. I cannot talk about that point specifically. Okay, okay. Yeah. But, but something is happening now. Some investigation yeah, yeah, is now. Yeah, something is happening. Actually, um, I heard that uh, two of the complaints, uh, the uh, CUH started to investigate okay. the complaints. Okay, okay, Yeah, it's and, and uh, more than over a year. They just initiated to do good. an investigation. Eventually yeah. initiated some kind of an investigation. And are you now working here in a hospital setting? Yes, yes, I'm working. And how's that going for you? Um, so far, I am um, okay. And uh, the n- new hospital is um, good working atmosphere and I'm happy. Yeah. And did you manage to find somewhere to live and everything like that? And No. In the new hospital, nobody is doing in such a way. Okay, so where, where do you stay? Um, I live in Cork. Yeah. No, I'm saying you did find somewhere to live because I know that it's a struggle to find accommodation here, particularly when you come from so far away. Yeah, actually, the one month accommodation will be provided by the employer, uh, means by the agency. But after that, we it's very hard to find out any uh, accommodation, and uh, we have to uh, we will be sharing accommodation with the uh, other uh, family, and uh, it's very hard to find out one accommodation. Mm. And also, it's very expensive as well. Very expensive. Were you aware of that, that it was difficult to find accommodation here and that rents were very high? Did you know that before you came? No. Actually, only uh, when we came here, uh, we came to know that it's very uh, difficult to find out accommodation and it's very, really expensive here. Only after coming here, we came to know all these kind of things. You must have got a shock then. Yes, really. Mm-hmm. And are, are you settling into Ireland? Why would you have picked Ireland to continue with your nursing profession? What was the attraction? Um, actually, of course, I would say that Ireland is a beautiful country, a very calm and quiet place. And, uh, you know, when we um, search in the Google or in the YouTube, like we can uh, get the feedback that uh, the zero racism in Ireland so Ze- that's why uh, we choose this country. Zero, this you, country. You, you read that there was zero racism in Ireland? Yes, yes. From okay. the YouTube and the, from the social media, we could, we could find out that um, there is zero racism in Ireland. Okay, okay. From the media, yeah. Unfortunately, but with these allegations. Here, but, uh, but after coming here, it's like very opposite. 
Do you, do, okay, just let's leave this investigation alone for now, but do you experience racism in other areas of your life? No, never. I never experienced any racism in um, any other country and even in the new hospital. Okay. So what I'm saying to you is now here in Ireland, are you, do you get racist slurs or things said to you? Um, only from the Cork University Hospital I have experienced this type of comments. Okay, but the, and, well, we've but spoken about never that. Never from but any other. Yes. Noth- nothing else. You're getting on nothing with your else. life now. You're getting on with your job. You're settling in, although you're struggling to find somewhere to live. Yes, yes, yeah. Do you, do you get any kind of uh, anything said by, by some patients? Um, no. Good. Okay. I, th- I think the, all the patients are very um, um, lovable and very happy towards Indian nurses, I, I would say. I have experienced uh, some of the patients uh, were very happy with the Indian nurses. Okay. And I never experienced. Okay, glad to hear it. Listen, yes. Anita, l- let's see what happens with regards to these complaints going forward, all right? Uh, and perhaps you, yeah. might, you might stay in touch with me if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, thank you. Okay, bye for now, bye for now. Yeah, thank you, bye-bye. Very, very serious uh, allegations of uh, racial slurs and sentiments against them. I mean, I've read them out twice, there's no point doing it a third time. We'll pick it up after 10, text 0868104106. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. In lighter news, we've uh, some great prizes this week from the Maldron Hotel on the South Mass. A great location and it's great to call in, whether it's for a coffee, a bit of lunch, a bit of dinner, an overnight or a family celebration. Between 8 and 140 people can be catered for. They have lots of different venues and they do birthdays and christenings and family celebrations and all sorts of things like that. So what are we giving away every day this week? A daily prize of an overnight stay for four people, including dinner at the Maldron Hotel on the South Mall. And we had some good laughs with it yesterday. I was asking the question, what do you do to de-stress and what do you do to unwind? It's an interesting one there. My nights in would be quality, relaxing time with my gran. She stayed with us for four years. She passed away on the 21st of September with two tumours in the brain and I miss her dearly. I still have an awful hole in my heart. Uh, I would love one moment just to see her again. I used to sit at her bedside before she passed away playing music and we'd sing all the lyrics of her favourite songs. It's still so raw after her death. She was amazing. And she passed away at the age of 96. So you enjoyed that quality time, didn't you? That you had with your gran near the end. And at least you've that to think about, particularly when you're feeling a bit down. Um, Our politicians, I think the mere desire to be a politician should ban you from ever being able to become one, Neil. So Stephen, we need the best in each sector running that sector, not a bunch of vote-munching gremlins just looking to make it on the elite stage. The best medical brains in the country should run healthcare. The best business minds should run the economy. Not fame-hungry gangsters who need a course on how to speak their way around tough questions. The country's turned into a total joke. Question being asked regarding the budget. Did the children's allowance get extended to college-going students? I don't think so. I didn't read any of that anywhere. Um, Also, I don't believe you could include children who are in sixth year, who have passed the age of 18, they would also be cut off children's allowance. I was listening to the guy from the government today being asked about how much they're going to give refugees and migrants in the budget. The figure is €5 billion. They're talking about giving €1 billion for social welfare. You couldn't make this up. Uh, And one final one. um, People were talking about smart meters and nighttime meters and the different rates. Um, I, I don't know. I don't 
personally I have no idea what a nighttime rate is versus a smart meter if you have the smart meter and you sign up to the different tariffs you will, you will get the cheaper nighttime rate all I'm saying from earlier on but thank you for that you need to have you, have to, you need to have agreed a nighttime rate with your energy provider so make sure that you do that um, and as you head into the winter if you've got the nighttime rate and you've got a smart meter and you're using all of your heavy appliances after 7pm you will find that your electricity bill or your gas bill, whatever it is that's used to power them, will come down. All right, they will come down because you won't be using it at times when the tariff is like 44 and 45 cent a kilowatt hour. I'm just giving that small little bit of advice. But anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Trish, good morning. Can you hear? Oh, sorry, is it is it line one? Yeah, it should be there in line one. No, I seem to have trouble with the phone lines this morning. Hold on, hold on there, and we'll come back after the break and sort it out after these. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, so the journal discovered regarding these allegations at the CUH that eventually an external investigator was commissioned by the hospital after a formal complaint was made in relation to how one nurse was treated during the adaptation programme. They said that they couldn't look at investigating a petition, but they could look at individual complaints, and that now has happened. So we're interested to see what will happen with regards to the external investigator. But the petition was 29 nurses who all made similar allegations in respect to attitudes displayed towards Indian nurses during this adaptation programme before they would start working and it included that they don't wash their hands after using the bathroom, they only come to Ireland to make money, they don't care when Irish patients die. I mean this is not funny even if it was, uh, even if these, these allegations were an attempt at a joke that nurses come here for pregnancy and child benefits, that they spread COVID-19, that they bring rice with them and they make the hospital bathrooms dirty. Um, just uh, just watch this space I suppose with regards to the external investigator and what they come up with but I do see text coming in on this one so keep them coming text 0868104106 particularly if you work or worked in healthcare Trish good morning. Good morning and, good and, morning. and, and I know that you did and I don't want to identify any areas of where you worked or no, you, worked, no, in, you no, did, no. worked in different counties and what have you but just generally speaking what do you make of say would you be shocked um, at hearing allegations like that? I, I can nearly put faces to people when you've mentioned some of the stuff. First of all, I'd like to apologise to the Indian nurses. I worked with many of them in a particular Cork hospital. Mm. And I saw things, of course, but I have to say in this particularly large hospital, there was bullying of many, many people, not just the Indian nurses. Mm. Mm. I was bullied mm. and I was told... Uh, certain things related to me being from Dublin. Okay, and why, why, why would this happen though? Uh, because is there some the sort managers, of a culture? The managers at ward level—it's a toxic environment. I worked in many Dublin hospitals, and working in hospitals is a toxic environment. Why? In that hospital, because first, I hate saying this, but first of all, you have a lot of women. You have unqualified people in management roles. I had management education. A lot of the managers I met in the hospital had come up through the ranks. Would you be, and were you protective of foreign nurses? Yes, of course I was because I have foreign daughters-in-law. I have foreign members of my family. Certainly anybody away from home is vulnerable. They come here, spend their last penny to get here. And um, 
like it's a whole different environment an Indian hospital to uh, an Irish hospital mm, mm. Indian nurses are not involved in basic day to day bedside care, hygiene etc there's ward assistance the nurses in Ireland do everything mm, mm, you know mm. um, they're rushed straight into it due to short staffing yeah I mean the figures are interesting in themselves there are over 12,000 Indian nurses working yeah. in the Irish health system I don't I don't have the figure because I hear there's a, a fairly large cohort of Filipino nurses also working yeah. and Filipino healthcare workers in yeah. general here um, it is unbelievable. It yeah. is unbelievable how dependent we are on overseas staff. But one would think that people wouldn't be making. Um, they're not know, cherished. No, but they're people, not cherished. But, but, Student nurses are not cherished or mentored. Healthcare assistants are used for everything. There's no appreciation of their job description. They do everything. Um, There's no mentoring junior nurses. Students are part of the workforce from day one when they land on a ward. Totally. They're necessary to the running of the ward. Yeah, totally. Without a doubt, whether they're nurses or midwives or healthcare assistants. I worked in all the Dublin hospitals. Any time I went to a new hospital, I was shadowed. There was time you know, to be orientated. That's all gone. But one would, one would hate to think that that would be a commonplace thing, that a nurse from overseas, be it Indian, was told, you don't wash your hands using the bathroom, you're yeah, only here to make abuse. money. I mean, that's beyond, like, that's abuse. Yeah. But unfortunately, these girls are very vulnerable. They're not going to leave the ward and demand an explanation. They feel that I they went, have to sit on their hands and keep their mouths shut. They're terrified. I was nervous because it undermines your confidence when somebody is nagging you all the time. I was a very experienced nurse. I'd managed nursing home in Dublin. Okay. I came to CUH. I'd managed a nursing home in Cork. Okay. Okay. Down west. Okay. And I was told I was overqualified when I made complaints. Did you, you might did, be happier in you, a different hospital. That's what I was told. Well, that's an unfortunate thing to be told if you're making genuine observations, albeit yeah. called a complaint. Um, but uh, is it that the organisation is so huge that you're always going to unfortunately no, have... It's, it's general CUH. Everybody says it. I mean, the nurses the nurses, there's a few elitist staff on every Okay, ward. and I don't want, obviously I don't want no, to no, identify, but, I wouldn't but what, what are the, what, and so what are the nurses doing? Are they living with it? Um, are they yes, are they yes. all, are they, are they, are they, you're talking about Irish nurses as well? Yes. Okay. Student nurses, I'm amazed no student nurses because I have letters from mothers of student nurses thanking me for my kindness to their children. And do they quit? Uh, they hang in to get their training and they leg it. And I would encourage them to leg it. Get out. Over, leg it overseas, is it? Uh, get out of, certainly get out of the hospital, the particular hospital we were working in. But I'm quite uh, sure that there are many, many, many staff members who are very happy with their job and are very well, much rewarded uh, I, by the work I, they do. I, I would, um, no, I would sure there's the certain few, but usually the few that were in the clique. Each ward had a clique. Right. I did agency in this particular hospital before I took a job there. And I was quite shocked at the cliques of nurses on the ward. There wasn't much teamwork. Okay, obviously I can't drill into much of the detail for obvious reasons. I ran out of the place. I took early retirement. Okay, okay. And I went to work with uh, 
okay. very medically challenged children. Okay. And Never my back. confidence was gone when I took early retirement. It took me a few years before I went back into working as a nurse. So if these experience. allegations are proven... It they will be. Well, no, well, we don't know, so there has to be <laughs> an investment. But those allegations that are read out, they actually don't come as a surprise to you? Not at all. Okay, okay. Not at all. Okay. And okay. Um, okay. I just feel so sorry that it's still happening. Okay, I Thank just feel so sad that it's still happening. There was no joy going to work. I used to come out, and I'm a strong personality. I used to come out to the car park and have a cry before I attempted to drive home. Why? Because I was so stressed, you're kind of looking over your shoulder, particular managers watching, trying to catch you out. Why? I mean, why would they want to catch you out? Like that's not their job description. Yeah. They're there to okay oversee and make sure that no nothing is done wrong. As you are talking about, you know, people's health and welfare in their lives, but very not be, little encouragement. Not to be trying to trip you up, though. Very little encouragement. Okay. Very little enc- encouragement. I never a thank you. As a manager, I would thank my staff at the end of every shift. I would thank each and every one of them at the end of every shift. Uh, I worked in a hospital in Kildare before I came down here where we were cherished, respected. So it was like jumping into a fire coming to Cork City. The total opposite yourself. And okay. I still had a mortgage to pay, so I hung in. I hung in, but it was happy days. When you left. But I still, I'd lost my confidence and had to take some time off before I went back to work. Okay, all right. I have a very extensive CV. Well, I'm glad you got back up on the bike. I just want to tell one thing. Uh, My elderly mother was living in the US. I was on night duty and I was due on at eight o'clock. My mother passed away at five o'clock. I rang management to say I wouldn't be in. I got no condolences. I got told you have two nights off for a mother. You only get you've only two nights off. You've three days compassionately for a mother. So I you don't know what the reco- I don't know what the allowance is. Forgive me. For yeah, but it is yeah. twenty four hours, three working days, eight. But night duty is twelve hour shifts. Mm. So uh, I was told you won't be able to go to America to the funeral. You couldn't get time off to go to America to uh, bury your mother? We had an Irish funeral six months later, and that was even laughed at by had, the manager on my ward. Had you hoped to go to America? Our mother having. Yeah, well, that's, mo- that's mocking. That's not nice. It's just, um, I would put one question to the particular hospital. You're granted up to five working days paid leave yeah. on the death of your mother, well, you that's know? that's eight-hour working days. Yeah. And had you intended to go to America? I had two 12-hour nights ahead of had me. You intended like to I had two, 24 hours, the two working nights. Okay, but had you wished to go to America? No, well, I well, it put a stop in my tracks, you know, but I, I don't know if I've been told, oh, I'm so sorry, take as much time. I know. Take as much time as you need. I know, I know. But it was, it was a very hard phone call. A very difficult phone call because I had worked many Christmases because I had no dependents. I'd worked many Christmases. I had stayed in the hospital at one stage in bad weather three nights in a dirty room. Oh, listen, I could write a book. I I don't want to get petty now moaning about everything that happened to me. So did you have to call your relations in America and say you couldn't travel for your mother's Oh, yeah. Um, Of course it's not impressive, but uh, they felt I was too committed to work. (laughs) 
But I'd had my mother living with me for 15 years, so I didn't feel guilty. We had an Irish funeral uh, months later, as well as her American funeral. But I would... Do you know what makes me more sad? That it's still happening. That's the thing. And it's not only the Indian nurses. It's student nurses, other nationalities, healthcare assistants treated like appalling. Okay. Appalling. Okay. Let's let's leave it there, Trish. Thank you so yeah, much for taking the call. Appreciate it. I, things need to change. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would encourage anybody that one thank you, Trish, who wants to get in touch. I will never give out personal details to anybody. So if you feel that you have something to share, don't ever worry about your own personal information being divulged. It won't. Uh, text 0868104106. Back after these. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. You can text 0868-104-106. That rent-a-room scheme. And says, rent-a-room scheme can have bunk beds or have beds in a converted garage, did you know? And it's 14,000 tax-free per annum. No checks. Uh, compliance or the poor old accidental landlord gets nothing by comparison. The government really should be giving equal treatment here and allow landlords, all landlords, the first 14 grand tax-free. Fair enough, if they've got more than one rental property, they can pay tax on those, but not the first one. So the rent room scheme can have the bunk beds or the beds in converted garages that we've been talking about and get rent for it where there's no tax paid on the first 14 grand per annum. Um, Neil, how can two people that work full-time with three kids who got paid any day, say today, have their wages gone already? Uh, we pull in over four and a half grand a month and we're scraping by. The only relief we got was when diesel prices dropped for a while. It saved myself and my wife 20 euro a week. So we were able to buy something nice for our kids. Uh, they're pulling in four and a half grand a month now and just scraping by. Prices have gone up and we have nothing left in our bank account. The weekly shopping has gone up. Our mortgage went up by 150 euro a week. Diesel prices went up. Petrol. We're at our wits end and it's just not right. People like us should be living comfortably with an income of four and a half grand net per month. Um, Eamon Ryan has added so much on things, coal, car tyres, the very basics, the very people that need just to get by and I'm sick of it. I'm fed up and I'm getting really peed off and angry. How can we find houses for others in a flash but can't find any for our own? On top of that, our streets are no longer safe, so we don't know what's coming into the country anymore. I, for one, will not be voting again for this same kind of CRAP Uh, all of the time and no one can really put a change perhaps Sinn Féin don't think so they'll just be the same our country is a puppet for Europe Um, I think that really sums it up doesn't it you've got four and a half grand coming in and scraping by with the bank account uh, bled dry I don't know whether this afternoon will make any difference to you or others like you but we will have the budget it will be a 6.4 billion Euro budget. But let's just break it down for a few minutes, if you don't mind. I'm joined by Andrew Lau, the reporter with News Talk, and he's got the inside track on exactly what will be announced today, or at least the key points. So, Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So, they've eventually agreed it because there was a lot of wrangling the last few days. They've signed off, and Michael McGraw will take his feet this afternoon. What's he expected to say? Well, Neil, I just uh, addressed what you said earlier. Yes, indeed, they will. They have agreed um, a budget. It went on late into yesterday evening. There was a couple of departments still outstanding. Um, Eamon Ryan saying yesterday before they went in for those meetings that social protection was still to be agreed and children 
was still to be agreed as well. But they managed to get them across the line. And when Michael McGrath takes to his feet now, of course, he's the Minister for Finance now. It's his first uh, budget he'll deliver as uh, Minister for Finance. The first one for Fianna Fáil since the crash and the late Brian Lenehan. So when um, certainly there will be all eyes, there will be a lot of eyes on Michael McGrath this afternoon. And uh, just among the things that he's expected to announce, I suppose um, the main one really is um, how much money is going to be put back in our pockets. So he's going to announce that there will be an increase to the entry point to the higher rate of income tax that will go from forty-two thousand to forty-two. Or sorry, from forty thousand to forty-two thousand. Um, there will also be a cost to uh, two rates of USC. So uh, the two percent rate, the second band, that will go up the the entry point of that will go up to just over twenty-five thousand euro. The four percent rate that will, or the four and a half percent rate rather, that will drop to four percent. And as well as that, there's due to be a slight PRSI increase. And this is to kind of offset against a new pay-related benefit scheme to ensure people that lose their jobs get a higher social mm-hmm. welfare payment that is linked to their previous salaries. So that has been agreed. That's gotten across the line. And That's a new innovative thing, isn't it? That it would be in some way a payment based on what you earned and what you paid in tax rather than a flat rate. Because otherwise people who sadly lose their jobs fall off a cliff, right? Yeah, it is. This will be seen as a win for um, the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys. It's something that she has flagged before, and it's something that she was keen to get across the line. Now, this will be worth up to €450 a week for anybody who loses their jobs. Now, that is dependent on what um, 60% of your previous salary was. Mm. Not everybody's going going to guess the full amount. So, certainly, Heather Humphreys will be smiling this morning to get that one across. But as I said, that's... Sorry, go on, no, it's just when, when you look at the tinkering to the um, tax bans and you look at the little tinkering to the USE, what would it mean, say, per year to an average worker or a family? Have we a number? Yeah, so by my calculations, it looks like that it will probably somewhere be in the region of around 880 euro a year for the average, um, for the average person. So... Um, Certainly, that's now it had been mooted beforehand that um, it would be up to one thousand euro a year. So that was what that was what um, Tisha Baradkar had been pointing out uh, previously to today, and it was something that, if you remember, during the summer, Neil, it was um, it was kind of one of those kites that were flown by junior ministers that uh, they wanted to see €1,000 extra back in workers' pockets. Mm. And um, so now we're looking at about 780 per annum that will uh, that will um, impact the average full-time worker that has an extra €780 mm. uh, per year or about €15 a week. Okay, okay. The, also, interestingly, the minimum wage will go up. It will sit at €12.70. But what, what about businesses that literally are just hanging on by their fingernails? Will they be able to pay that increase to 1270 well, certainly that's what we're hearing from the lobbies that um, you know that's a, that was a big concern to them you know Isney and Neil McDonald were saying yesterday that they, there need to be a package of supports for um, uh, any increase to the minimum wage now it's going up by 1 euro 40 to 12 euro 70 or 12 euro 70 cents and that was uh, off the back of a recommendation by the low pay commission and it's kind of in line with what uh, previous governments would have done anytime the low pay commission recommended 
an increase to the minimum wage. The government has tended to match that. But in order to try and offer some relief to businesses, it seems government are kind of heeding to what the warnings have been from uh, the various business lobbies. They're going to introduce a new scheme whereby small enterprises, so, you know, your hairdressers, your coffee shops, you know, your re- other kinds of retail outlets where they'll be able to apply for government funding whereby the state will offset 50% of their annual rates costs. And that is seen as what the government wants to do to try and help those businesses to kind of ease the burden of that extra cost of the minimum wage. I also did read in the examiner this morning that there's a 10 grand lump sum for the small to medium-sized enterprises. Is this like, a, you know, the, and they're the backbone of the Irish economy, I suppose, small to medium-sized mm. businesses, that they'll get, what, 10 grand as, as, as kind of a, a non-refundable gift, is it? Uh, my my understanding about that, my understanding about that is actually it is actually linked to what I just highlighted there in terms of the the rates increases. That's how they're getting it. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or the or the rates. So it's um, not a check in the uh, post, or it doesn't appear in your bank account. It's offset against something else to the value of ten grand, ten grand. Well, no, they will get that, but it's, it is it is to kind of help them with. Uh, kind of offsetting against yet the additional cost that they are going to have to pay their staff when the minimum wage goes up, if that makes sense. Yeah. What What is the story then with regards to welfare payments? We're seeing something in the region of a, a 12 euro increase per week. It had been hoped that it would be 15 for the pension and welfare payments. Yeah, so yesterday um, it was kind of reported that that was one of the that was one of the sticking points before yesterday. Well, how much will they put up welfare by? So certainly now we're going to see kind of a twelve euro social welfare payment increase, kind of across the board of all those kind of payments. And this is uh, this is part of um, obviously go back to Heather Humphrey's department again, and as well as that. Um, um, Additional payments for social protection uh, recipients will get um, more a few more one-off payments as well. Like the Christmas um, bonus, is it, and uh, a double payment in January or something like that? Yes, so they will get the usual Christmas bonus and an additional payment in January. And uh, as well as that, there will be a double child benefit payment uh, paid out in January as well. That's The child benefit rate itself is going to stay at €140, Euro, but they will get that doubled in January. There will be uh, €100 Euro for the qualified child bonus, 200 for the living alone allowance, for example. Also €400 Euro each for care support grant, disability support grant, yeah. working family payment, and then 300 for the fuel allowance. Yeah, it's like something for everyone in the audience, um, including for people who are going to struggle with energy costs, right, Andrew? There'll be more of those um, energy credits uh, offset against your bill, is it? That's correct. And just to kind of go back to you saying one for everyone in the audience, I'm uh, reminded to Michal Martin, the Taunishta, back in 2015, where he criticised the government at the time, the Fine Labour government, of engaging in what he called gay burn politics, whereby there was something for everybody in the audience in the budget. And here we are now in 2023. But certainly then to go back to the... um, to be tax credits. So if you remember last year, Neil, we got um, €200 each uh, for three electricity bills costing €600 in total to the average household. This year, it's going to be reduced down to €450. So each household will get €150 each for three three electricity bills like last year, except it is going to be lower. And it is part of a smaller 
uh, cost of living package as well. Last year it was around into the region of 4.1 billion euro in one-off support. This year it's about 2.3 billion. Yeah, it's something anyway, isn't it? It could be better, but at least it's something. Some of the other, uh, of course, the traditional ones that you see being hammered would be like fuel and alcohol. They're not touching those. Mind you, they did recently on fuel anyway, and the breweries put up alcohol as it was. But they're leaving them alone, but they're putting 50 cent on the packet of fags, right? That's correct, yeah. 50 cents on a packet of cigarettes. They're not uh, going to touch uh, the bottle of wine or the pint of, of the pint of beer. And um, as well as uh, the 50 cents on a packet of cigarettes, um, there's actually, they're due to announce kind of a new tax that's going to be on vaping products and e-cigarettes. Now, the exact nature of that isn't known at this point. That will likely be revealed later on. And it won't come into force until later because there will need to be legislation in order to kind of apply, to be able to apply these ta- taxes. To that legislation might also include making it illegal to sell them to minors, I suppose. Yeah, it could, it could well be part of um, that legislation as well. This is something that a lot of ministers have been wanting to um, wanting to address. In particular, the higher education minister, Simon Harris, he's been very vocal on uh, e-cigarettes, even long after he left his uh, brief in the Department of Health. This is something that he's very vocal on. And um, certainly it looks like what we're going to hear today is kind of the beginning of uh, what that's going to look like. Okay, I know that they're rolling out more free school books for children, they're increasing the student grants and things like that, helping people in college and what have you. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a mixed bag really, isn't it? Um, big, big money though, isn't it? 6.4 billion euro. Uh, it's right up there. It's a lot of dosh. Yeah, it is. It's And um, that's before you take in the additional measures as well, but you know, if you look at, I was just looking at uh, Sinn Féin's alternative budget today, they were budgeting for $6.9 billion. So when you look at it in that kind of context, it's not far off what the opposition, or at least the lead opposition party wanted to do. So it kind of uh, then points the question to Sinn Féin, will there be, what will they kind of pick apart on this budget? You know, mm-hmm. as you said, there seems to be something for everybody in here and it's not too far off what uh, Sinn Féin have been proposing in their alternative budget. So it will lead to some interesting um, interesting speeches in the Dáil yes, uh, later today from the opposition. Absolutely, when they get to their feet as well. Well, bring it on, let's see what happens. Andrew, thank you for taking the time this morning. Do appreciate it. And to allow the reporter with News Talk. Just interesting, just quickly, Eddie Cassidy is the Chief Economist with the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. Eddie, good morning. Good morning. Okay, they were just highlighting the different aspects of this afternoon's budget. But I, but I was reading this morning, do you think that, and, and th- these are my words, not yours, that they're spending too much, they're throwing caution to the wind and somebody should be pulling them back, is it? So there's an element of that. Uh, we can see the uh, feeling of, you know, one for everyone in the audience uh, coming back into uh, budgeting a little bit. And if you think back to 2021, we would have had the government introduce this new spending rule which was a national one. Um, and so th- that was a really important innovation. It was basically putting a speed limit on how much we'd increase spending and cut taxes uh, when we were running budgets year to year. The idea behind it was basically to keep things relatively safe, that we don't go too fast, too quickly, uh, don't push uh, too much money into the economy from the government side, and don't make things unsustainable again, like we did in the 2000s. I know, but, I, know uh, I know, but people need help and they need it desperately, Like, as, particularly as we head into winter and all kinds of things like that. People are struggling, you see. Maybe they see absolutely. that. I, I mean, there's loads of areas 
that merit uh, support. There's loads of things we can do in our infrastructure. There's, there's no end to the ambitions the country can have for how to improve living standards. But the key is that we actually do it in a sustainable way, that we don't have to reverse these new measures, the things that we do in a few years' time because we found that we've gone too far. Right. We've gone yeah. beyond what revenues can finance. Yeah. I just thought that we had a... We were expecting a deficit and we got a massive surplus. So there's money to, to spend and to share out, no? So if you take the last 16 years, then Ireland would have been running deficits uh, year in, year out over those 16 years if it wasn't for these windfall corporation tax receipts that we're collecting. So basically what we've seen in the last few years is just Ireland record massive increases in corporation tax receipts. It's gone from uh, the third highest tax we have in terms of raising receipts year to year to the second highest. It's passed out VAT. It's doubled in four years, tripled in six years, and basically it's massively concentrated. So if we look at where the windfalls are coming from uh, and all corporation tax receipts, all of the receipts we get take in from corporations, uh, about three corporations are accounting for a third of it, and 10 groups are accounting for 60% of it. Who are those so three? Who are the three super big ones, I wonder? So, so revenue won't tell us, you know, this is confidential information. Every co- uh, company is liable to uh, uh, it, it's, it's uh, anonymity in terms of okay. you know, okay. the, the level of the returns. So we do get data on financial statements. And what we did very carefully um, over the last year was look through these and try to figure out, well, wh- who were the top 10 and how concentrated is it within that? Because we, w- we, we, we would have known for a quite a long time, actually, that corporation tax receipts in Ireland were very concentrated and we know that it's massively skewed towards uh, pharmaceutical companies and tech companies yeah. and basically that means that there's a lot of exposure there so we're vulnerable As in we're over-reliant to the tech and farm are we? Well we basically are at this stage so you know if, if we take the overruns in health that we would have seen uh, over the late 2010s uh, year in, year out, we were getting these large overruns of about half a billion every year. But they were being matched by uh, overperformance on the corporation tax receipts. So what we saw was a gradual reliance building up that, you know, we were covering off, up the overruns yeah. with the outperformance we were getting in corporation tax receipts. So and those receipts come sense. from all businesses of all sides. Everybody returns their tax in the form of corporation tax if you have a business. So it's the working businesses of Ireland, really. Uh, that are that are you know presenting us with this money that we can then share in a budget. Putting it simply, right? Not really, right? So no, we have about okay. two hundred thousand companies that file uh, corporation tax receipts. A lot of those companies wouldn't pay anything, uh, so they wouldn't have profits in a given year, or they might be able to use losses from previous years to carry forward and, and offset their tax bill. But what we can see is that ten groups, so just ten corporations, are accounting for you know, three in every five euros that we take in incorporation tax receipts. So what we're saying is that it's incredibly reliant on a handful of multinationals. Those multinationals are based predominantly in the pharma and tech sectors, and it depends massively on what happens to those companies. So it could be a change in the international tax environment. It could be a change of CEO it could be a product that doesn't do so well yeah, uh, or yeah. maybe competition. Yeah. And these things can really have a huge bearing. Then or they could, time. as we've seen in the past and not too recent past, move to a cheaper labour economy. We, so we just don't know, right? And, and no one knows what's going to happen in corporation tax receipts in the next few months, let alone the next few years. And so it's a really bad idea to do things like bank on that to fund the health system or education. Uh, really what we need to do, and even people think, well, maybe it'll be okay for short-term capital projects. 
But the reality is that a lot of capital projects have ongoing costs to them. So you don't build a hospital and not staff it. You don't uh, do housing for one year because you know the population is going to continue to expand. So you have to do these projects year in, year out. And we really have to plan ahead to what we can sustain in terms of revenues and what we want to do as a priority. You have to wonder as well, I won't keep you much longer, but it's fascinating. You have to wonder as to whether we're taking into consideration as well an aging population. People are living longer now, so therefore there'll be a pension aspect there. Also even tied into that would be the health implications and the availability of, you know, you know, health products and procedures and surgeries to keep people alive longer and to keep them healthy and fit. All of that costs money, right? That's right. So Ireland has two monumental challenges facing it in the next few years uh, and, and the coming decade. So the, the iceberg ahead really is ageing and climate. Uh, so we have to transition to a lower uh, use of fossil fuels and we have to deal with a rapidly ageing population. If you look at uh, Ireland's um, uh, older age cohorts, we can see that they're expanding in number very quickly. And that's a good thing. We're living longer. We're, we're you know, healthier in our old age but it comes with costs it means much more health care spending it means much more long-term care uh, spending and higher rates of pensions uh, being paid out as well so what that means is well if we don't deal with these uh, challenges head-on and start to tax people to account for that that increase in spending that's inevitably coming then we're going to face higher costs in the future because we'll have a smaller working age population to fund it Mm. so what we've kind of shown in the past is that you can reduce the cost by as much as 40 percent if you were to act sooner rather than later for the same type of adjustment on a a regular taxpayer. Yeah, however, ju- just finally, uh, how much of this is actually based on politics and, and, the, and the, maybe the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael fear of the, um, the, the arrival of Sinn Féin, the popularity of Sinn Féin, the possibility of them being in the, you know, leading the, the next government. Is, is that maybe driving their narrative as to, you know, what they're spending in the budget and what they're giving away, fear of the opposition getting power? Do you have, do you have a political hat that you could respond to with that? I think every budget is to some extent politics, right? So probably the three things that make up a budget is the rules, fiscal rules, you know, the budget rules that that bind uh, the economics and what the economists are saying, and then what the politicians want to do. Um, In this case, you know, it's kind of a mix of the three again. Of course, the rules aren't binding, and we've decided to breach the national spending rule that the government introduced repeatedly. So that doesn't look to be as much of a constraint, but it might be acting like some kind of an anchor. You know, they might do 6% versus 5% limit, so they're not going too far beyond this in a given year. But of course, these things add up the more you do it year in, year out. No, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, play, what I'm saying is please the voter so that they'll get re-elected to simplify it. Well, well look... I mean, that's one way of characterizing it. It, it is uh, a political entity. We have to figure out uh, how we're going to deal with these challenges down the line. So, you know, eventually that's going to become the politics of the day and the next generation is going to face these big costs. That's it. We could reduce yeah. that burden if, yeah. we, if we act sooner. Okay, nice one. Covered a lot of ground. Very interesting. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate you taking the call. Okay, Eddie Casey, Chief Economist with the Irish Fiscal Advisory. We'll see what happens this afternoon. But I think there's no surprises. I think the rabbit is out of the hat now as to exactly what to expect. It's uh, be interesting also to see how the opposition react to it when they also get on their feet. Text 086 8104 106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show.
text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Just back, I see a lot of texts coming in from conversations ready this morning with regards to the allegations of racial slurs against Indian nurses that they don't wash their hands after using the bathroom, they're only here to make money, they don't care when Irish patients die, um, that they're only here for pregnancy and child benefits uh, and they spread COVID-19 and all these kind of different things were allegedly said to them at an induction a meeting, you know, there was a six-week course before you can actually be signed off to become, say, a nurse in an Irish hospital. In this case, the allegations are against uh, um, the CUH, or at least that's where it's alleged that they were said. What kind of a woman would come on and say that we're a racist country? It's us, the Irish, are being discriminated against with all the foreign nationals coming into the country. Prendival shouldn't give her any airtime. Well, I will give airtime to all sorts of people because they're not limiting airtime to people that were born here or from here, that would be definitely very racist. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. I don't think that the nurse actually said that the, I asked her specifically whether or not she witnessed any or experienced any kind of racism or discrimination from Irish people or Irish patients. You might have heard me ask that question and she said no. Um, Please don't give up my details, but I worked with a number of Indian nurses and they themselves can be quite critical to anybody who isn't Indian. They have Indian nurses in management positions who give their own friends holiday time off if they need it and if you're any other nationality besides they make it very difficult for you to have a work-life balance it goes two ways Uh, on the Facebook rental market you see all too often nationalities subletting rental properties illegally and accommodating whole families in one bedroom in an apartment that's the Ireland we're living in now it really and truly is where people are literally being crammed in and uh, a lot of it with the use unfortunately of bunk beds and I've been talking a lot about bunk beds but we certainly do have um, a big amount of nurses coming into the country while our own cohort of nurses of course are training and leaving and they go to all corners of the world but at the moment now the big buzz place of course is Australia so you've got 12,000 Indian nurses I saw a stat there for Filipino nurses appear on my screen there earlier on this morning and I think it was over it was over 2,000 and climbing with regards to nurses and healthcare systems probably higher if you add in different aspects of health and people coming in from outside of Ireland. Can't go on air, but it is important to state that undocumented male refugees will now be getting welfare increases as well. So more will come. Everything you see is free, including fuel, accommodation, and the taxpayers, of course, are the ones that always pay it. Um, yeah, any kind of an allowance would go up, I suppose, including the ones you described. My son is an apprentice. He's working 10 miles from Cork, so he needs a car to commute. He's earning €7 Euro an hour. No increase here. Oh, I'd love to drill into apprentice rates a little bit more as to how much they're earning, if it's €7 Euro an hour, for how long? And how does it graduate up? I know I did it on the air some years back, but I don't have the stats and the figures. So I will come back to that. Um, If anybody can explain, what do apprentices earn? And when does it start to climb? And and how long would the apprenticeship be? Certainly three to five years. How would you survive on that? You wouldn't even be able to put fuel in the car. My daughter and her partner are bringing in over five grand every month. They pay €1,500 for rent in Glanmire. Car insurance, gas, electric, creche, tax for home and car, food, petrol, and besides their rent, they're trying to save to buy a house. They have their deposit already saved, but in the past two years, they have been outbid on seven houses. As a mother, it's heartbreaking to see them struggling so much. I can't help them out, as our business went into liquidation and the banks took everything, including our family home and the car. My husband never drank nor smoked, and he worked 16 hours a day to put four children through college And we didn't qualify for anything because we were self-employed. Oh, my God, that is a disaster. 
Now to see young couples who can't get on the property ladder and don't qualify for a penny is absolutely heart-wrenching considering what we've been through. I know I'm aware that my daughter is only one of thousands, but is still very, very sad. Thank you for that text. You really and truly have been through the ringer. Text 0868 and we'll pick it up after 11. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Asking the question yesterday, what do you do to unwind, particularly what kind of a chore or a task do you do that you find is uh, very, very relaxing? Uh, some very funny ones yesterday, and we're going to do the same again today. Why? Because we have uh, an overnight stay for four people, including dinner at the Maldron Hotel on the South Mall, a deal location for a family event or a get-together or a meal or a celebration or whatever the case may be at the Maldron Hotel on the South Mall, right in the middle of the city, great location. So that's overnight stay for four people, including dinner. And we'll do that this side of midday because um, the survey that I was referencing yesterday was done by eBay, uh, found that many people felt happier after completing a household chore. Um, And the survey broke down some of the more relaxing tasks, included doing a bit of gardening. Some people find, well, a lot of people in this survey found ironing to be very therapeutic and very relaxing. Uh, You take your mind off things, apparently, as you're ironing away, doing a bit of baking, which I I find great fun, actually, baking. It was my birthday yesterday, and uh, there were some members of the household. Ah, the poor misfortune, baking his own birthday cake, but what the harm. Uh, I got two birthday cakes, actually, because Billy Backersy also did a cracking lemon meringue pie. But anyway, um, I I do a mean, or I'm told I do a mean, um, banoffee pie. So I got all the bits and pieces at the weekend. You know the way you do the cream and the condensed milk to turn into caramel and you get the bananas and you get the the chocolate flake and everything that goes with it. And I had great fun just on my own inside in the kitchen, just putting the banoffee pie together. So a lot of fun. So baking can be very, very, very therapeutic and relaxing. Um, I'm actually told that I have three birthday cakes. There's another one in the fridge. 24 hours too late, pal. It was yesterday. Anyway, appreciate the kind thought and sentiment. Thank you. Anyway, they say things like you know, gardening or ironing or baking. Some found chopping herbs to be very relaxing. Watering plants. Bringing in or hanging out the washing. The lawnmower. Dragging out the hoover. Stuff like that. So I've been asking you guys for your thoughts on that one, what you find relaxing or therapeutic. So text on that. Text 0868104106. Better still, get on the air. And I'll read out some more of them uh, this side of midday. Uh, we're talking actually about, you know, it's, it's always grand to be critical and to be given grief, particularly to the state of the city or, you know, it's not as good as it used to be and it's not a safe place to be, etc., etc. So I always grasp on to the more positive texts that I come across. So thank you for it. Um, I can agree somewhat that our city has gone downhill in recent years, but I wanted to share with you this morning a good news story as things can still happen more positively. Uh, some time ago, we were in town on a rare girls' night out. We were walking from the restaurant that we were at to the pub we were going to next after the food. So we walked from Mailer Street to the other end of Oliver Plunkett Street when my friend realised when we got to the pub that she lost her brand new iPhone. I rang her phone and eventually someone answered and said he found it on the ground outside Smith's. I asked him if he could stay on the phone and meet me by the GPO. In fairness, he did. And it turned out 
that he was a homeless man. The new iPhones are definitely not cheap and could be easily, easily sold for cash. But he still walked to meet me, stayed on the phone and handed it over. He didn't want anything, but I did give him some money as I knew my friend would be so grateful to get our phone back. I just wanted to highlight the kindness of some Cork people, even when they're in tough situations themselves. I often think about him and hope he's doing well. It somewhat restored my faith in Cork. Now, I thought that was the most fabulous text to get because clearly the person who found the phone was homeless. Now, a new iPhone could cost you anywhere in the region of 800, 900, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 euro, right? Depending on what one you buy. And there are places where you can sell them and you could get 50% of the cost or perhaps 40% of the cost. So for him to give it back was a lovely, lovely gesture considering that he could have made... 300 or 400 euro but why wouldn't he give it back it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're homeless uh, that you would do something criminal or you would steal something you're homeless Um, uh, but it doesn't make you any lesser of a person so I love that and thank you for it those kind of texts are important so if you have experiences like that please do share text 0868104106 I work as a full time delivery driver I start at 6 and I don't finish until my van is empty and that could be 4 in the afternoon my wages before tax are 490 euro after tax, 420. I've been with this company for four years this month and they will not put up my wages. I'm looking to move from them as soon as I have a full B licence and a forklift licence. If they don't put up my wages, I will have to walk because I'm broke by Sunday. I have to pay bills, do shopping and my pay goes nowhere. You see, he's paid on a Friday and the money's gone by Sunday. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Big text response to one of the topics earlier on this morning and a lot of the texts are coming from people within healthcare. Um, is there somebody and it's alleged gone rogue at the CUH saying really awful things and particularly to 29 um, Indian nurses who were going through um, the you know when they first arrive at the hospital they need to go through an initiation period it can take six to eight weeks and a lot of it has to do with lectures and things like that but the 29 nurses are, are alleging humiliating and degrading treatment um, spoke with one this morning and Eti says the things that were said against them was that they don't wash their hands they don't use the bathroom and wash their hands when they do they're only here to make money they're here for pregnancy and child benefits they spread COVID-19 they make the hospital's bathrooms dirty um, and that uh, they bring rice with them and they don't spend any money in Ireland so if all of that is true and these are allegations that clearly the nurses say they're heard but need to be proven um, then obviously uh, something is wrong because nobody should be treated like that when you come to a new country and want to go to work and pay your taxes and become a member of our health service but I'm keen to talk to Kingston Kingston good morning Hi, good morning. Can I also say thank you for holding? And I have to keep it as vague as possible so as not to identify any individuals. But you, your wife is an Indian nurse uh, in a Cork hospital. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Does she ever talk of um, being um, racist comments or any kind of nastiness from either fellow staff members or indeed patients? I wonder. No. No. But exactly what what all you said from the previous caller. Uh, like uh, Indians are not clean, you people come to exploit the system of Ireland, you take all the benefits. This all was said uh, to my, not my to my wife in particular, but to the group in general. 
politician. Let, 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 me, let, let me say, I don't want to identify anybody in any way, shape or form that would have anything would said against them that might identify them. So could I just keep okay. things as general as possible, if you don't mind? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, the comments that were made um, about wash, not washing hands after the bathroom, here to make money, exploit the system, here for benefits, that was said to your wife when she was going through group initiation, is it? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And did they do anything about it at the time? I, I was I was telling my wife, why can't you people go and complain? Not uh, you can, you are as a group, you can, but everybody was scared because they were all new and there was a lot of things like that. I just want to keep it as vague as I can. She did nothing about oh. it. She got through the initiation yeah. and she started working, did she? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And how is she finding work on the wards then, generally around the hospital? Yeah, everything else is fine. Okay. Everything, okay. Except, the, except the initial days, it was so traumatic okay. for her. Okay. And uh, having come to a new country with uh, higher uh, hopes and everything, they f- find it very, very, uh, very hard to deal in the initial. I days. know, I know, I know. But yes. nothing was done at the time. So yes. there is something being done now, though. Another group of nurses have claimed some or similar comments that were made to your wife and her group of nurses. So we'll have to see what happens in that regard. But no no other issues. Is she happily working now and integrating within the hospital? She is, she's, uh, oh. she's happy. She's, she finds us better. Okay. Uh, we, we lived in the Middle East for almost 18 years, but she finds, us, finds it better yet, and except the initial days. Okay. And uh, she, she like uh, she was like always. Uh, she uh, people were scared to to complete the training period. Yeah. Okay. 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 She got through it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, let, let, and there was a complaint made initially also, but I think she got uh, the person. Okay. Was, All right. Okay. We won't. I'm not going to go there if you don't mind. Forgive me. I have to be very careful about people's rights and also not identifying anybody, from any particular hospital or indeed any particular department. Uh, so thank you with regards to your experience, your wife in a particular Cork hospital. Keep those texts coming. Uh, text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Um, also, I see texts coming in this morning on this. Uh, just wanted to bring to your attention. Oh, actually, this is quite disturbing. It's another health-related story, but it's down around Bantry Mental, Mental Health Hospital. Um, what is it that we're doing to this country that we seem to be closing all of the things that matter? Neil, I needed to bring to your attention about Bantry Mental Health Hospital, which is due to close next week. Would you believe the staff knew nothing about this until it came out in the Southern Star newspaper? And as of now, the staff that work there still haven't been informed about what's going on or where they're going to be redeployed. Not to mind where the service users of the mental health hospital will be moved to. It's a disgrace as this hospital services the West Cork area and they had plenty chances to update the facility all along. They never did so. Mental health services always come second. Um, Neil, the bullying within Cork hospitals, whether it's uh, the Mercy, the CUH or Finbars or any of them, is awful, and it's usually from unqualified managers. There is never anything done about it. Your conversations this morning don't surprise me. I'm a nurse in a Cork hospital but can't come on air. Nurses don't make good managers. Nurses are promoted to clinical nurse managers without the necessary managerial training or experience. They're made acting managers so they don't need to get trained. HSE management is the link across all of the problems 
in the HSE. Um, I have witnessed staff members like that firsthand. They are terrifying. They have the ability to make a room full of adults feel so incompetent and stupid. It saddens me to say, but we have all witnessed this kind of racism firsthand towards Indian nurses, those of us working in healthcare. But we have been frozen with fear of standing up as you will be picked on next. So we say nothing. I remember one day during our induction from intern to staff nurse, we were told it was a pure waste giving us the nursing degree as we were all stupid. Don't give up my details. I'm still working in the hospital and I don't want to draw anyone on me. And another one, if the bullying and abuse as a wholesale and widespread in the HSE is as your learned caller suggests, why is the media focusing only on the racism aspect? The simple answer is, although they'll publicly claim otherwise and virtue signal for the cameras and microphones, the great and the good of the Irish establishment actually don't give a tuppenny flip about any of us. Racism, climate change, LGBTQ issues, simply one of the approved hot-button topics that our puppet politicians and their paid-for propaganda press have been told to exploit, says Richie in Toker. Um, government are in cahoots with the media to push these hot-button topics. Mary says, for goodness sake, last week it was the poor midwifery department. Now we're calling, our race, calling out racism in hospitals. I worked with many nurses from overseas. We embraced them fully and loved working with them. We all have bad days and cross paths with those who have a bit of authority. A few do have chips on their shoulder. And I always called them out. But I did not see racism, says Mary. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, last week it did have to do with issues with the COMH. But you can't really ignore a story like that or allegations like that. And there are more uh, texts than that, which I will come back to. But I want to go back to the phone lines. Lisa, good morning. Uh, can you hear me okay, yeah. Lisa? Okay, there's problems yeah, with the phone, unfortunately. But there you are. Go ahead. What's on your mind? I'm on my air, is it? You are. You're, yeah, you are. It's Mental Health Day today, and you say you're no stranger to it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I haven't since... I used to have hospital for seven weeks, and obviously I've been kind of getting messages about, like, how it is up there. And it's probably the worst place to be if you have something. Like, I was in there with depression, mm. and... Mm. To be honest, it was hell on earth, and I know you're kind of talking about hospitals there. And why do you say that? I mean, you, you went in. How are you now, incidentally? Did you get some help that you needed? They actually told me I was <laughs> that I wasn't fit for hospital because I was looking after everyone else. That's just in my nature. Right. I look after everyone else, so I was discharged, thankfully. But what I've seen inside there was it wasn't great. Like, I understand why people need support when they come out of that hospital because what they go through inside there is, is horrific. Okay. But have you, did you come out better than when you went in? Oh, like, better, yeah, 100%. But I think that was down to me and the fact that I had a say in my care. Mm. Um, like, I was voluntary. Mm. I wasn't anything like that I was able to you know speak up about my care and um, they had me like on medication and now I'm off every single medication and um, how long are you off your you finished the course of meds did you are you yeah yeah um, I was weaned off um, 
but that was my choice. I spoke to the doctors about it and they said it's just, it's not okay to be like zonked. All the time, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, because I was dealing with a depression. I never had it in my life. It was probably the worst thing I ever had in my life. Um, it's, a big, it's a big step to go into a care facility that deals with mental health issues. It's a brave mm-hmm. step to make, in fairness to you. Yeah, no, it, it was horrendous. Um, but, like, obviously, like, like we, I've been getting messages all day about where mental health takes so off. You know, the people that are close to me know um, about it and you know, they kept saying it like, you know, you're very strong for coming out the other side. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I've seen it firsthand what it has done. Um, and I even said it to my family. I was like, it's not only my story, though. I said, it's yours, too. I said, because you've been through it, too. And it wasn't just me. Yeah, yeah. It, was them as well. it impacts yeah. on all of the family, yeah, because they also witnessed you know, your struggles mm-hmm. and the fact that you, mm-hmm. you know, aren't aren't coping as best as you could. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, but surely there was a, you know, I, I don't want to be just bashing the health service all of the time, but if, if I get stories, then I, I, I'm happy to share them, the good, the bad, and the and the what have you, but surely there was compassion and help and kindness shown. Clearly there would have been. I have to say, the day staff were absolutely amazing. Like they sat with me through panic attacks, I get panic attacks. They sat with me through panic attacks. They were absolutely amazing. They were talking to me about just everything in life. They were they're more of a friend, like even like that, like you were having a conversation and having a Christmas night out. I cannot say enough for the day's death. Mm, mm. But the night times inside there was horrendous. How? Um because after eight o'clock, um, you don't eat. That's it. You don't eat. And you're on this medication that makes you hungry. And, like, when I was first in there, obviously I was very emotional having to go in because of this depression thing. Yeah. And it was like that, like, I'd ask for a cup of tea um, after 8 o'clock. God forbid I asked for a cup of tea. I was called selfish for asking for a cup of tea. Um, self-centered. Um because apparently from the way I was, I look, I was judged on that. They were like, you shouldn't be here. You're walking around there with your makeup and stuff done. But that's just me. And I was called selfish, self-centered. Um, and I was even at one stage told that they'd section me and they'd inject me if I didn't stop crying because I was crying because I was so scared of being in there. And like that, all I was asking for was a cup of tea. Like, you have to remember, Neil, okay? You're going in there and you have everything stripped from you, okay? Like, anything, like, with strings on your clothes, mm. chargers, everything. You have to follow the protocol. Mm. And I've done that. Mm. But, like, a cup of tea. And that was thrown in my face when I was meant to be cared for. It wasn't nice. I could not wait to get out of there. And the fact is, I could assign myself out, but I knew I needed to get better. So I had to stay there. I did stay there with um, other patients that were unwell, but I had to endure, like, other patients patients targeting me. And because I wasn't, like, as I said, unwell, like the other people, and I understand there is a lot of 
different illnesses in there. Like well, mental health issues well. come in different shapes and forms, yes, of course. exactly. Yeah. And I understand that. And I did say to them, I understand that. But this is an acute setting. It's not an intensive setting. I do think that like, people that are aggressive should not be kind of in with the people, you know, that aren't aggressive. Like, I had chairs thrown at me. Like, I had rumours spread about me when I was in there that did not, that was completely false by one patient, a man in particular. And it was awful. Were you frightened then? I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Like, my family had to get onto the hospital saying, this should not be happening. She's in there to be looked after. She's having another patient doing all this to her. It's not okay. It's a very acute setting, though, and you would have people with all sorts of different conditions and emotional Mm -hmm. disturbances, and, you know, they live turbulent lives because of their... Uh, mm-hmm. Health issues, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, it, but uh, you know, did you do you, did you say you felt at risk? Well, clearly, at risk of somebody threw a chair at you. Oh, I felt one hundred percent at risk, and for the sake of just my recovery, I did say to this person, "Can we just put whatever issue happened me to the side and just let me move on?" Yeah, okay. and I did just keep my distance. But like, there'd be another patient come in took a dislike into me and it was kind of carrying on again and then it was like that it was the night staff as well just on top of it all and when I left I'm not joking you would actually swear someone was actually dying when I was leaving because obviously I was after taking on everyone else's problem the night before that I left I was sitting with a girl and obviously she had her own troubles I was sitting with her trying to calm her down because she was terrified because it is so scary at night and while I was trying to sit with her and male staff told me like I shouldn't be doing that and he said you're not working here and like that stay away from her Mm -hmm. and we'll section you and I did speak to my doctor the following day because I was going home and I I told my doctor what was going on inside there like you were just trying to show a bit of kindness (laughs) and just having a chat but that's it and like even like that I didn't have to speak up for other people inside there but I did there was like like that there was one girl and I'd say she was very troubled and she kind of took her anger out and everyone everyone was kind of afraid of her and anyone that knows me they know know I'm very outspoken and I told the doctors about what I witnessed with this girl in particular being manhandled by a man inside there Mm just for walking on the corridor gone 12 o'clock at night if you're on that corridor at 12 o'clock at night you're in trouble yeah. well it's okay for me to be on the corridor at 12 o'clock at night talking to another member of staff but then this girl she walked up quietly with a blanket and she was manhandled right back down to her room yeah. and I witnessed that and I did speak to the doctor I told the doctor this um, they did take it on board and like and I said it to him I said I don't need to speak up to this girl I said you see that we don't get along I said and I said but I can't go home knowing that I did not say anything I know and you did speak up uh, but surviving that experience you say was the hardest part um, and you were mm-hmm. shocked at the state of our mental health service uh, your words mm-hmm. in your original text J- just before I let you go there's an interesting text here saying I ended up in GF a couple of years ago severe depression from childhood abuse as I got older, having to deal with an alcoholic mother, 
Uh, it got worse. I sympathise with your caller on air. It was horrendous for me as well. The psychiatrist I saw had the attitude of a person on minimum wage trying to get through the day. That was the attitude. I got literally zero help. They don't seem to care. They were more interested in getting me discharged. Mental health issues are written off as less severe by our health service practitioners. Many a person has died due to suicide after being told that they didn't need to be in a hospital, remember. Uh, it is yeah. far beyond a joke. If it were uh, if it were to happen to me again, I'd rather just deal with it alone, alone than have to go mm-hmm. back into a mental health prison with zero chance of rehabilitation. Isn't that interesting? I would never go back there, and I know now I'm keeping on, but when I was coming home, there was a cab driver that obviously picked me up, and he said, obviously, he knew the address of where I was, and he actually said it to me, he said, his wife was in there. And he said, she came out of the hospital and went straight to the river. Oh, the poor misfortune. Isn't that so sad? Yeah, he told me that. He told you that? He told me that. And like that, I was like, I cannot sit back. I'm not that person to sit back and watch stuff happen. I've, and the worst part about it is, you have a your service, your say, okay, about your treatment inside the hospital. I read out complaints. I've been getting on to the HSE complaint sign. I'm not getting anywhere with it. Since you came out, is it? Since I came out. Are you trying to advocate on behalf of other people then? Yeah, because God forbid, like, I have two kids. God forbid they went in and had to endure what I had to endure. Okay, okay. I don't want it to happen to anyone to go in there. And I was told by the HSC themselves that they have nothing got to do with the acute mental health. When well, I, it certainly I it has to be ring. somebody's responsibility. That's for sure. I've been I've been trying every single number under the sun. I've written so many emails. Like I'm doing my own thing. Like you know what I mean. Like back to work with my kids, everything. But I'm still trying to like be make it known that this is going on, and I am getting nowhere. Okay. And I'm afraid, you know, for other people that do end up in there. Well, thanks for sharing. It might make a difference. Mm-hmm. People are listening, um, and thank you for it. But do look after yourself, and, and I'm glad that you're in a better place, Lisa. That's good to hear. Thank you. Okay, yeah, take care. And thank you. Thank you. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Pick up the phone. You can also uh, text us uh, on 0868104106. Uh, don't give out my details. I'm afraid that I'd be recognised. Uh, this is flipping back again to the investigation that has now been launched into alleged racism against. Uh, a particular nurse. Now, it started out as 29 nurses all making similar allegations. Uh, I'm reading from the journal.ie of the attitudes displayed towards Indian nurses in their adaptation program. I think it's a six to, uh, it's a four week, it's a four week program. A lot of it is, is done in class and the claims are against one staff member um, where there were awful, nasty, racist things said to, alleged to have been said to the 29 nurses. So, that's where we were at this morning. Um, and then it has prompted other calls from people working within healthcare. This one in particular is a nurse midwife. Uh, I'm afraid that I'd be recognised. Don't give up my details. But I left five years ago because of bullying. Every, everything that your callers have said, particularly Trish, the nurse, is 100% correct. Uh, I worked in the community and in various Cork hospitals. You wouldn't believe the bullying that goes on or the way managers speak to nurses um, and carers. No thanks, just constant bullying. Never a thank you, never a well done. These managers should be rotated and not left in one ward for years. I could write the book, 
Uh, to be honest with you, the poor student nurses have to put up with a lot of bullying and to top it off, they don't get paid for their tremendous work. They're part of the team with no recognition for what they do. You wouldn't believe what goes on in Cork hospitals and hospitals in general. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, keep them coming. Text 0868 But on, on WhatsApp, Sean has a sad story regarding regarding his dad and he joins me by phone. His dad has cancer. Sean, good morning. Hi, how's it going? And he's been through um, uh, chemo, had a lot of surgery um, and has been living with the cancer diagnosis for a number of years, has he? Yeah, um, he's originally started in one location and he went through surgeries, chemo, then it uh, moved and he did another surgery, another chemo and moved again. And um, of two weeks ago, it's after moving to into his um into his abdomen and he's kind of after being given a, a life expectancy and um, yeah. what, what, what time there, that's not an exact science when they give you a period of time to live but what was suggested um, it was I, I don't want to say too much just in case there's that's family fine. members who know listening because it's not really out to the family because it's relatively I'm new I'm sorry news. I understand that I'm just yeah, referencing but, but the text it's, 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 it's it's not a whole. It's not a whole pile. It's not a lot. We'll just time. say that it's, yeah. Okay. And so that's um, devastating like, news for all of you. Does your dad know about that? Um. Yeah, he does know. Yeah, yeah. Like the the close family do know, and I don't know outside of that who knows in the family. So how's that's your dad dealing with it? Don't answer any question you're not comfortable with. Um, no, no. That, um. All through the chemo, my dad's been probably one of the most positive people you've come across on. On, on cancer and going through all this and he has um, he would go to a therapist and the therapist well my, my father would tell me the therapist thinks he's one of the most positive people that therapist has ever seen you're very you know, proud of but, him um, you see oh yeah yeah sure like it's it's a tough thing to go through for anyone like even watching it is hard enough no mind being that person you know mm. But um, yeah. he so last week he was given life expectancy and he's been up in in hospital for um, uh, I think it's four weeks now, and they said last Friday that they will do a surgery on him one day for yesterday, so he could come home and be comfortable at home and you know what I mean live out the rest of the day live out the rest of his days you know, yes. and um, when I came home from work yesterday evening my mother said to me they didn't do the surgery. And I was like, why not? I was like, oh, there was an emergency. Someone else had to do it. No problem. Is he getting it done today, Tuesday? No, that that surgeon only does that surgery on Fridays and Mondays. So my father, with the limited time he has, has to wait to get that surgery done Friday. So he should be in hospital for another five days, plus the recovery time of that surgery, which I don't know what it is, to be honest. And it's just ridiculous to me, like... For any other person working in jobs, you work, like, you obviously work set days and you do your job and that's it. How can how can a surgeon who's on good money, who's gone to college for nearly 10 years, only say, oh, I'm only going to do the surgery Fridays and Mondays when there's Fridays, people needed. Yeah. Fridays and Mondays with that surgery are sur- surgeon yeah. are surgery days and the other yeah, days are possibly... There's only one surgeon that can do the surgery, apparently. For some reason, we don't have trained surgeons. You know, and fr- from what my father told me, it's 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 pretty routine as well. Like it, it happens, it's um, like you know, it, it happens a lot of people. You know, so like I don't know what's going on there. It's ridiculous. And, and with that, to not be selfish and think directly about my father, that's another 
five, six, seven, eight days, he's in hospital while there's someone else on a trolley. You want him home, of course. That's the whole idea. Yeah, I, I want him home as well, but you like you have to feel for the people who are on trolleys. So my father in the past, when he has gone to hospital, has been on a trolley. Like in, in, during COVID, he obviously he's going through ke- chemo, which your immunity is shot, yeah. and he's on a trolley inside in the hospital. So I feel for the people who are on the trolleys when my dad do you think we could just get a surgery today and be back home hopefully Thursday and what actually happened with regards to he his surgery was cancelled why was it was there an emergency um, what, do you know the, yeah the, the surgeon said that there was an emergency but or the doctor said to my mother that there'd be an emergency but this this has happened a lot a lot throughout his his um like recovery or not recovery whatever way you want to think about it there's always been cancellations and this and that and like I think there's a lot of malpractice going on. Um, so the first time my dad went through chemo and uh, radium and that kind of stuff, he, he after the three-month scan, he was given the all clear. said, come back for your six-month scan. Like He was like, oh, well done, you know, and came to the six months. And they were like, oh, sorry, you still have cancer. Like, or or, or why, it's back again. I don't know. I don't yeah, know, I, man. I don't know why that would happen. I don't know. And to, to to be honest, two weeks ago, so this was a week before my dad was given the life expectancy. A week before that, he was given life expectancy, but it was actually a longer one. So he, he was sitting up in Cork, knowing that, okay, I have this period of time to live my life. And then a week later, it was half that. It's shocking. I mean, to be living like, with... You know, those changes. Like, One minute, you, you know, you're exactly. cancer-free, then it's back, then it's X amount of time left, and then it's split by half. I mean, that's shocking. Yeah, it's like... like that would you, break you. you. Mid- oh, yeah, but that's... Like, I was talking to my dad yesterday, and it was probably the first time he's been negative. Like, I was fuming for obvious reasons. I said, Dad, get on your show. You're you're well able, like, you know what I mean? You've been a fighter your whole life. Yeah. You no, know, and he said, sure, what good is it? Yeah. Like... That's when I know my dad was broken, you know. That's when... <sighs> yeah, I know, I know. You want him home to give him the quality of life that he deserves in his last yeah, whatever period of time he has. Be with his loved like, one. I'm more angry than I am upset, like. And that you know, surgery, this. that surgery is to help him to be able to go home and live out his time at home, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. key it, to the time that he's been given. Yeah, without that surgery, he'll be um, going up and down the hospital every few days, and no one wants that. No one wants to be in the hospital in the first place. But you know, I just don't understand what's what's going on. Like, apparently, we're one of the richest countries in Europe, and like, and we can't get a surgery. And this is just one case. I am sure you've many texters and many people listening that they've had family members. Well, there's not enough surgery slots, and there's clearly not enough surgeons. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, and so we like we obviously have them in the pipeline. Obviously, in college, there's to try to trying to get in to the the surgeon, college you know, surgeons, to, to yeah. go to college. Yeah. There's obviously students there, so like I don't think all those students are all leaving the country. You know what I mean? If a quarter is staying, that's still a lot every year. Like no, but I mean it impacts on your dad and impacts on your family and it impacts on your time with them. I understand why you're yeah. Very, very I, I think outraged, even, yeah, yeah. But I think even my dad being there a week longer than he has to be is impacting another family who, say, has someone else on a trolley. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not just thinking of my father here. Like this is the problem across the board. Yeah. And like, 
like I'm only 26 like in relation to what's going on in Ireland I'm just a spud but before COVID the hospitals were full there were people on trolleys then COVID came like oh it's because of COVID like that there's people on trolleys now we're out of COVID essentially and there's still people on trolleys mm. like like what's going on like you know what I mean like mm. in, in any other job in, mo- in most places there's set things to way set ways to do things and if it isn't working it's changed like why isn't I don't that know. changing I just can't get a handle on it and haven't been able to do it for many 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 years I don't know um, I don't know what to, to, it doesn't seem to matter how much money is thrown at it um, you know if many people are saying that if it was run as a business it clearly would have been gone into liquidation or receivership yeah, a long time like, ago all the money has been given is going into people's pockets who you don't know who their name is like that's that's what's happening yeah yeah. you know like I work in the construction industry and that I've I've heard a lot of what's going on up in the the new extension that they're doing up in Dublin and like it's it's I think it's like two years over um, over oh, expected listen. to be done and don't even talk and about the And that's going costs. into his contractor's pockets. Yeah, don't even talk about you know. the costs. Listen, I'm very sorry to hear that and I, I hope that it gets done. Um, w- w- what are we looking at, Friday? Yeah, apparently it's Friday, but I don't know. I, I'd like to go up myself, but I would just be fighting with lads, to be honest. Okay. But it's just ridiculous. Hopefully it will happen on Friday. Will you, will you let us know? Because I know people listening would like to be you know, updated as to whether the surgery happens on Friday for your dad. Yeah, no bother. Okay, all right. Okay, mind yourself, Sean. In regards to your father, he's a very strong man. You obviously are very proud of him. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Yeah, and I'm very sorry about the troubles in, in that family. Uh, we'll come back to see some early text coming in talking about what a great son that man has raised. Uh, more on that in the morning, but for the little time that I've left this morning, I was talking about our giveaway every day this week. It's an overnight stay for four people, including dinner at the Maldon Hotel on the South Mount. But just ahead of that, do you remember I was doing the towel story this morning? How often do you wash your towel? Uh, some people wash the towel, the bath towel, and get out of the shower or the bath. They dry themselves and they put it straight into the laundry. Um, I would suggest that you should probably use it a second time or perhaps a third time. Let it dry and reuse it. I don't think there's a need to wash the towel every single time. Uh, two to three times max, any more uses would be barbaric. Thank you for that. If people wash themselves properly, then all the towel does is dry the person. The person is clean, so the towel isn't dirty. It's just wet. Hang it over the banister or out on the line to dry. I wash the towels after each use, Neil. Electric Ireland has a plan that offers free electricity on Saturdays or Sundays. I do all my washing and drying on my free hours, 8 in the morning to 11pm. Get everything done. Pile on all the machines and Saturdays and Sundays is all free. Uh, one or two more. I wash my towels after one use. It's so disgusting to hear that there are people that wash towels once a year. I'm not advocating you use the same towel all year. Like, in all fairness, give me a break. I'm saying twice, maybe three times. The boys in my house use the towels twice. I only use mine once and then I wash it. So interesting insight to people's habits in the home. With regards to unwinding um, or, or a chore or something, a task that makes you, you know, relax. Scrubbing off moss from around the house, says Kay. Very therapeutic. I unwind by going to my choir group in Carrick Tool. I totally switch off from the outside world. It's escapism, says Paula. Um, for my um, unwinding, I lick the chocolate off rice cakes to unwind every night. It calms me right down before bedtime. <laughs> 
Good for you. I better not say any more than that. One way I like to unwind is baking. I'd bake cakes every day if I could, but only when there's nobody in the house. When I have the cakes baked, I then pull out my book and read with a cup of tea and a slice of the cake. It's absolute bliss. Now, this doesn't happen very often, so I would love a night away with the family to unwind in the Maldron. Love the show. How do I relax? For me to relax has to mean that my mind is completely absorbed. I love the outdoors. I love my garden. I love nature. However, I have to read every night of my life. Reading has always been my mind-focusing hobby. After my day is done, I escape to my bedroom and pick up my book. It's my total escape from the hyper life out there. Over the years, reading literally saved my sanity. It's taught me to concentrate, focus and absorb, absorb facts. My interest in history was nurtured by books. My interest in books was nurtured by my late father. Uh, it's a hobby I try to pass on to my grandchildren. I buy books for them, uh, says Chris. Lovely text. Thank you for that. Incidentally, do you ever try Audible or audiobooks or Kindles or things like that? Or are you like me? You love the physical touch and feel of a good book. How I rewind is I sit down with a bottle of wine in my left hand and another in my right hand. <laughs> And I watch a great movie like Gone with the Wind or one with Gregory Peck in it <laughs> with two bottles of wine. There's loads of these. I'll read out some more of them in the morning, but what little time I have left and God knows as usual, there's not much of it. Amanda, good morning. Good morning. Is that parrot there with you now? No, because I'm at work. Damn it. And if work. he was there yeah, with I you, would he, would he talk to me? No, it, you'd have to catch him when no one's there. Like my daughter's after sending me some videos, so I'll, I'll send them on to you there. She has videos of him talking, but you have to be out of the room. What's he liable to say? Um, well, he loves saying, whoop-dee, whoop-dee, whoop-dee-doo. That's one of his favourite things. He'll just waffle on. Or if someone comes in the in the door, he'll go, hiya. <laughs> or he, if the phone rings, he'll go, hello, hello. All right, so, all right, so. Bye-bye, bye-bye. <laughs> Does he say uh, that? Just, all right, so, all right, um, so, bye-bye. Because you obviously uh, say, that's how you end your phone call, he's copying you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The or if the phone says. rings, if the phone rings, he go, hello, hello, all right, all right, hello, hello. <laughs> or he mimics the phone. Sometimes you think your phone is ringing, but it's actually him. Or if the dog is barking, he'll stop barking. <laughs> or if you pretend you're having an, um, an argument with someone, he'll just start waffling on like he's arguing with someone. He is just like, if you've had a hard day and he's in one of his funny moods, you it's very, very relaxing. And how old is he? He's about 14. And how old will he live? To about 80 to 90 years if they're well looked after. <laughs> he's well, Af- he'll probably outlive me. He's <laughs> going to outlive you for sure. Is he an African grey? Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Does he listen to this programme? No, he doesn't. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> he's downstairs. He'll be downstairs in the in the playroom. When will you be home with them next? Um, tomorrow but I, my daughter sent me some videos so I'll have a look at them and I'll send them back on I'll send them on to you and you can have a look at okay. them Okay Give me something I yeah. can play on air So is that your is that your relaxing time then with Buddy the African Grey? If he gets into one of his funny moods yes you could just sit there and we'd all be just laughing and laughing at him Yeah In the, in the kitchen and he's in the playroom waffling on Yeah <laughs> Anyone anyone who walks into the house, they'll think I'm alone, and next minute they'll hear him wafting on. And they go, I thought you were on your own. I say, No, that's my bird inside talking away. (laughs) And they'll go in and they'll have to look at him and just laugh. But the second he sees someone, he stops. It's the only thing. (laughs) A stranger, is it? No, it's just if he sees someone coming into the room, he just stops. Why? Is he antisocial or something? No, I just think because he wants attention, so he will start waffling. But the second you come into the room, you're giving him the attention, so he stops. All right, okay. 
Come back to me with the audio. Stay listening because there's some crazy people out there. Let me get one fast one on here. Claire, good morning. Hey, how are you, Neil? Good. So we're asking the question, how do you de-stress? What chore or task that you do to help you to unwind? I get a big garden fork and I turn over sods of grass and pull out worms for my hens. It's really, really relaxing and the hours pass by. You could spend the whole day out with the hens and forget to eat. You'd forget everything. You'd forget your children. Um, it's really relaxing. So you, like, you get... you and you, Pumba you, from The Lion King, turning over logs of wood, picking out uh, worms and bugs for the hens. Throwing them at the hens then, is it? They lay better eggs, do they? I don't know. I don't know. I guess extra protein, yeah. All right. Any other ones that you have? Um, I love pairing up the comrades of socks. Where did you learn the term to call socks comrades, the one and the other? It's a very old... I use that as well, but... My mother always said the comrades. Yeah, I got it from my grandfather. It's a lovely way to refer to socks, is it? Have you got the comrade of that sock? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think it's the French word for friend, so I suppose you can think the two little socks are friends. Because I have a house <laughs> full together. of single socks. I have no idea what happens to the other ones. They just disappear off the planet. I know, I know. Same here, sure. Everyone's the same. Okay, so pairing up socks, comrades of socks, turning over sods to get um, worms for the hens. Anything else? Um, and one more thing, it's you'd have to be in a good mood, but um, uh, segregating and organising all the Barbie accessories. I know you have a daughter, maybe you went through that phase years ago. You'd have to organise all the Barbie accessories. No, so I have to tell today. you, I don't think, and I'm open to correction, I don't think my daughter was a Barbie fan, to the best of my knowledge. I don't think she oh, was a she, huge doll fan. We're obsessed with Barbies, yeah. We have too many Barbie things, to be honest, but I love going through the tiaras, the socks, not the shoes, I mean, the clothes, the blankets. Everything kind of has its own little Ziploc bag. Um, I get them all organised and then my daughters come along and just turn them all upside down again. All right. But if I'm in a good mood, I quite enjoy going through it. It's really therapeutic. (laughs) Any chance you'd call out to Douglas and go on the hunt for my missing socks then? (laughs) I'd do anything for you, Neil. All right, well, I'd, ha- I'd have to stay over in the Maldron first, though. Okay, well, you are staying in the Maldron. We've got an overnight stay for four people, including dinner, so you can take whoever you want with you. Um, on You're the joking! Bi- ah, why not? It's, they're great ways. There are great so ways to much. unwind: digging up, di- digging up worms for the hens, pairing socks, and the Barbie accessories. So you look so you look if forward I'm to that. If I'm passing I'll throw in six eggs to you. How about? That? Oh my God, that would be so cool. That would be so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. That would be very kind. You were casket. All right, Thank stay you on the, so much. Stay on the phone, Claire. we get full details, all right? Bye. Bye-bye. You're sorted. You're off to the uh, Maldron, you and whomever you choose to take with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to hold on to Amanda. I'm going to park that one until I hear the, um, the parrot audio. I think we can develop that into a story. If I were you, Amanda, I'd get that parrot talking. Text 0868 Lines will stay open. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.